Warning, the following podcast features views and opinions that are not representative of the collective views of the Whispers groups. Some of these views may not be suitable for children. Accordingly, the producers and hosts of the Missy AE podcast must insist that no one attempt to take anything that is being said as representative of the views of any of the Whispers groups. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Missy AE podcast. Tonight, we bring to you our weekly Saturday night. Sports Whispers Weekly, where we will be pretty much be covering any type of sport that you want to talk about, whether it's NFL, NBA, NHL, baseball, boxing, UFC, WWE, whatever you want. The number to call in tonight is 657-383-1308. We will be live on the air for the next two hours before we go into the one hour after show. And a programming reminder for those of you who may have missed this past Thursday's podcast, we have officially started up a new podcast series called the Survivor Memories Podcast, where we take a look at some previous seasons of the reality TV show Survivor and get a a lot of behind-the-scenes information that, well, a lot of people may not have known. This past Thursday, we just covered Survivor Nicaragua, and we got a surprise from a few cast members of that season. So you never know who's going to call in but this upcoming Thursday, we will have another edition of the Survivor Memories podcast. This time, we will be covering Survivor Philippines, where, who knows, we may get some cast members to call in for for this week as well. So that will be at 9 p.m. Eastern, just like all of our other podcasts that we do. And if you have not yet done so, you can go to blogtalkradio.com slash missyae and subscribe there. Or you can subscribe on iTunes by searching for Missy AE. You will get access to not just this podcast, but all any of our past podcasts that we've done as well. Uh, you may be wondering why, did, why am I, why are we starting a bit early tonight? Well, I, I, I'm, I've pretty much gotten sick and tired of listening to two songs go back and forth uh, every single week. But we have a lot to cover tonight. We have the Super Bowl to recap in what was considered or what was billed to be a potential passing of the torch. Tom Brady said, I don't think so. Not just yet. Uh, we also have the J.J. Watt news that broke a couple of days ago, shockingly leaving Houston. We will talk about that. We also have, well, we have quite a few things to discuss tonight. So, anyways, the number, once again, is 657-383-1308. Let me bring on the line here. We have Kyle and we have Lou joining us. Kyle and Lou, how are you guys doing tonight? Good, bud. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, I've, I'm, I'm still kind of riding a little bit of a high. I would say, even though Brady is no longer a New England Patriot, you know, it's, it was still great to see him kick the ass of, of Pat Mahomes. And I mean, we're going to start off with the Super Bowl, anyways, tonight. 
you know, I, I would say probably the most shocking part of the Super Bowl was the fact that uh, apart from I almost uh, I almost had a seizure during the freaking halftime show with all with that that maze uh, that mirror maze uh, with all the with all the strobe effects. Uh, I would say probably the most shocking thing for me in the in Super Bowl Fifty Five was the fact that it it just seemed like once Tampa Bay went up. Ten nothing, or no, not ten nothing. Ten to three to start the, or to 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 start the second quarter. It it really seemed like Tampa was in full control of the I was right. of the game, and yeah, you were right. You were right, Lou. And if you remember correctly, last Steve, week, are you there? We, t- yeah, I'm here. Okay, I had to I had to take care of some business uh, on the on another line, but I'm here till eleven o'clock. Okay, okay, perfect. Uh, I uh, yeah, I had uh, I had introduced you al- alongside Kyle. So, uh, oh hi Kyle. I was hey. So I I figured yeah. we would start tonight with the Super Bowl and you mean the Super Kyle, dud? you weren't you. Well, yeah, you would call it the Super Dead, but if you're rooting for Brady like I was. Uh, it was it was best case scenario. Uh, we we covered the, we covered this last week on our Super Bowl preview. And Kyle, I don't know I don't know if you uh, were on the line at this point or if you had already hung up. But uh, Jim and I had talked about how probably the key to the key to to the Super Bowl this year would be whether or not Tampa Bay's defensive line would be able to penetrate right. the offensive line of Kansas City. And as we saw, it took them some time, but they finally got to Mahomes to well, they had him on the run for pretty much the entire game, but they finally got to Mahomes, I believe it was in the third quarter, with a couple of sacks. And we pretty much nailed it for the most part yeah. Uh, yeah. In, our, in our preview last week where literally the key, the the key to, to the super, to a super bowl victory would be, would be based off of which line was more dominant. And I mean, Tampa Bay, they just, they absolutely steamrolled Kansas city. All right, Kyle. Let's get let's get your thoughts first. Uh, were were you expecting a bit more of a of a of a of a close matchup compared to what we got? Because it it it's, it, it really seemed like it was one sided, quite frankly. Right, right. So unfortunately, I, I didn't really get to see the game because I was out plowing. But when I did catch it. Um, I, I kind of expected a little bit more offensive firepower from Kansas City, but like I said last week, when you have JPP, when you have you know Shaq Barrett and you know um, the other defensive lineman who's really good, and uh, and Sue, you know, I think a lot. It just shows like if you have a good front four, front three, whatever defense you play, either three four or four three, it just shows how powerful you can be. Like it kind of reminded me of the Super Bowl against Philadelphia versus New England. You know, like uh-huh. Philadelphia got to stop 
yeah. when they needed to. You know, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, you know, like all those guys, they 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 needed yeah. a stop and they got it. You know, so it just shows you defense is always going to win. Period. We've seen it for many many years. You know, with Seattle versus Denver a couple of years back. You know, so that that's just the NFL and how it works. You know, so boy, I expected more out of um, Kansas City, like a lot more. Like you, you have Tyreek Hill, you have Travis Kelsey, you have Sammy Watkins, you have Hardman, you know, good wide receiver. So I, I don't know. Maybe I was expecting a little bit more, maybe a little bit closer. But I think last week I, you know, I said that the defense is way better in Tampa Bay, and I think we all agreed. You know, Tampa Bay had a better defense, and it showed. You know. Yeah, yeah, it definitely did show. As a matter of fact, Kansas City, or not Kansas City, Tampa Bay, they ended up having three sacks out of that whole defense. And Dominican Sue had a sack and a half. Shaq Barrett had one sack, and Cam Gill had the uh, had the shared sack with with Dominican Sue. But the literally the biggest part to their success was the pressure. Not just on the quarterback, but also uh, in the uh, in the backfield to begin with. I mean, Devin White he had two tackles for loss, and uh, Dominican Sue and Shaq Barrett obviously, of course, also had some also had tackles for loss. It just it really seemed like they completely abused the Kansas City offensive line because they didn't have their two All Pro tackles. That they that they would normally have, but thanks to injury, of course, Mitchell yeah. Schwartz and Eric Fisher ended up missing the game uh, in what was probably, obviously the the worst time for them to get injured. But it kind of makes you wonder, Lou, if they if they would have had their two All Pro tackles, could we potentially have seen? A different a different result here because that's one that's one scenario that's one scenario but you know I think a lot of factors came into that number one Mahomes um, with a turf toe injury number one number two I yeah. maybe I think uh, we missed he misjudged the concussion I think it was bothering him more than we cared with that or he cares to admit I think it played a role and number three look. Uh, Andy Reid, with his with his son being in trouble, I don't think he was able to concentrate on coaching the team, and I think that's what lost him. Because when when the coach loses focus, your team is going to lose that, and I don't think his heart was in the game. And I I think maybe just wanted to screw the whole thing up right there. I mean, three days before you're oh, supposed exactly. to play in the biggest game of the year. I mean, really, his his mind was not on that game at all. Exactly, and you know what? That brings up a very interesting point here because. At, the, at near the end of the first half, if you recall, right as Tampa Bay was driving down, which eventually led to the Rob Gronkowski touchdown, it, or not not Gronkowski. I'm I'm thinking of I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the of the first quarter. But when when they were when they were driving when they were driving down the field, it, it just it just seemed very odd that Kansas City. All of a sudden, was was basically, and and actually, it wasn't a, it wasn't to to Gronk. It was actually to Antonio Brown. 
for that one yard touchdown. Uh, yeah. And also the and also the subsequent uh, meltdown by Tyron Matthew, where uh, had he had had he gotten one more personal foul like he did, he would have been ejected from the game. Uh, but it it, it kind of seemed like Andy Reid's mind was sort of somewhere else because he was actually calling sure. timeouts during during that whole possession by Tampa Bay. Andy Reid was starting to call timeouts like they like they felt that they could if they could hold Tampa Bay they could somehow march down the field and score mm-hmm. within the I, I think it would have been like thirty seconds left or something that they would have had if yeah. if Tampa Bay had gone three and out. So it 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 really did seem like because it it was very uncharacteristic of Reed to oh, to go absolutely. and do that when you're basically you're basically giving Brady more time without having to use his own timeouts. Why would you want to do that? Yeah. Exactly, Kyle. Let's go. I'm being sarcastic. Let me get your thoughts. You know. Yeah. But Kyle, let me get your thoughts on that. I mean, did it did it seem like Reed was just it was sort of out of it when it came to to coaching the, uh, in the Super Bowl this year, or was it or was it just superior superior uh, play by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? I think it's a, a little bit of both. I mean, you know. You're going up against the greatest quarterback of all time, so I, you know, I, I think that mm-hmm. has a lot to do with it. And people forget, Andy Reid already faced, um, uh, not Drew Brees. Wow, sorry, uh, Tom Brady yeah. in a Super Bowl four and lost. You know, he he took Philadelphia against um, New England, and they lost mm-hmm. when T.O. broke his foot or broke his leg. You know, in right. the NFC Championship game. So I think that had a lot to do with it too. It's like, you know, he had the okay. an incident with his son, you know, and so maybe it was like distracting, like, oh crap, I'm going against this team that I, I already lost to this guy. So, but I also think Tampa Bay overall is a better team. It's like, yes, they didn't win their division, but you still have the greatest quarterback of all time, period, hands down. You know, yeah. so okay. I think it was a little bit of both. You know, I think I think Tampa Bay was the better team overall, and I think that, like you guys said, like Andy Reid wasn't focused. You know, he had a lot distracting him. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of Andy Reid, his son is no longer a member of the Kansas City Chiefs coaching staff, as his uh-huh. contract had expired, and Kansas City did not make an effort to renew it. So he is no longer with the organization, and. For those that don't remember, he was involved in a multiple car crash where yes. he 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 t- he basically crashed into two different cars uh, belonging to the same family, of course, uh, on the side of a highway where two children ended up ended up being injured in the wreck, including a four a four and a four year old and a five year old little girl who ended up suffering brain damage and she has not, it says here, not regained consciousness since that accident. So obviously Andy Reid was dead you you had to think that he 
he would have that going on in the back of his mind, something to, you know, something something that that he was constantly thinking about because, I it's it's bad enough that that his son, Uh-oh. that you know that his son was uh, was involved in a car crash like that and and a DUI, but it's very possible that if this girl doesn't pull through, I mean Britt Reed is already facing yeah bad enough charges as it is but if this little girl does not pull through you're potentially looking at vehicular manslaughter here and that carries about 20 years into prison doesn't it yes or somewhere somewhere around that around that marker and that's on top of whatever charges they're they're uh they're putting on him already now yeah, he's. I I find I find it hard to believe that he that he's gonna, you know that he that he's gonna be out in public for uh, for anytime soon. Basically, I don't think with so. this young this young girl still is still in a coma. Uh, it doesn't sound well, it doesn't related, sound hopeful. Huh? But the two were the two kids related, or were they just um, they were family they just knew each other. No, they were family members. Brother and sister. Oh, I don't know if they were brother and sister, but they basically the uh, the their mother called a member of the called another member of the family to go to go. Uh, to meet them basically on the on the side of the highway. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I guess I guess I guess I guess something happened. Like either they ran out of gas or or they had a flat tire or something. I don't know. But obviously, obviously, Reed ended up ended up colliding with with both cars. And from what it sounds like, the girl is st- the girl is still in a coma. She's still in critical condition, and it. Doesn't look good. Uh, we tried to murder. Yeah, it 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 doesn't it it doesn't look good at all. And no. since the crash, they have set up a GoFundMe account, which is which has now raised, and this is updated, which is raised up to four hundred and seventy-eight thousand one hundred and ninety-eight dollars for for this little girl. For every for every uh, for all of the medical costs that's likely uh, that the family is likely to incur throughout this whole thing. Reg- regardless, you know, going back going back to the Super Bowl, yeah, yes. you 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 had to think that Andy Reid was kind of distracted. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. If you were in his shoes, it would probably be be hard to coach. A couple of days after your own son does something like that, uh, yeah. But but this isn't on. I, I'm not going to say that this that this loss is on Andy Reid because yes, it, it, no, it, it was right. ju- it, it, it was it was fair. It was blatantly obvious just exactly how outmatched that Kansas City Chiefs offensive line was. 
to where and, I'll, and and it doesn't it doesn't help either that Pat Mahomes. I know they said that his turf toe wasn't really going to have much of an effect because he played well with it in uh, in the matchup against Buffalo a couple weeks ago, but with him being consistently under pressure in this match uh, in this matchup here, it didn't the turf toe didn't do any didn't do any any help whatsoever. And actually, a bit of a statistic here, this was actually Pat Mahomes' first game in his NFL career that he has been left off of the, uh, off of the scoreboard. As far as... First game we scored a touchdown, period. Yeah, yeah. As far as, as far as passing touchdown or rushing touchdown, this is his first game in his career that he, that he has been held scoreless. Mm. But looking at the looking at the stats in particular, uh, as far as far as Kansas City goes to start off with, Pat Mahomes went twenty six of forty nine for two hundred and seventy yards and two picks. So I mean, he he was he had people open. You know, Travis Kel- Travis Kelsey had ten catches, one hundred and thirty three yards. Tyreek Hill. Seven catches, seventy-three yards. But I will say, a lot of Tyreek Hill's plays were when the game was already out of hand to begin with. Tampa Bay did an excellent job of containing that Kansas City offense. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Helaire, he had nine rushes, sixty-four yards. He also had two catches for twenty-three yards as well. Pat Mahomes also ran five times for 33 yards. So, you know, the the Kansas City offense, they had the production. The problem was they didn't have the conversions. They didn't have the touchdowns. They basically, they basically settled for field goals. And you know what? I'd say probably the biggest surprise, and this is, this is something I still can't believe, Tampa Bay didn't do didn't do in the I think it was the first quarter when they had him at the one yard line. And I don't know how, but Kansas City somehow managed to hold them on fourth on fourth and goal. Let me ask you guys this question. If you're at fourth yes. and goal or or no, even third and goal at this point. It was like third and goal at the one yard line. How the hell do you not give it to your power back? Which at that point yeah. would have been Leonard would have would have been Leonard Fournette. How do you not give it to the power back? That that would be basically, you know, drawing a comparison here yeah. to Seattle. Drawing yeah. uh, drawing a comparison here to Seattle, that would be like Seattle not using Marshawn Lynch at the one yard line in Super Bowl four in Super Bowl forty nine. I mean, Kyle. Well, if you're if you're in that situation, wouldn't you wouldn't you try to run it instead of instead of going for instead of going for the pass? I mean, we saw what happened when Seattle tried tried to pass it. Malcolm Butler ended up intercepting and and sealing the win for the Patriots in Super Bowl Forty Nine right. with that. If you have 
so few yards to go, whether it's one or two yards, wouldn't you just be better off running it in? Right. right. Like everyone says and everyone knows, once you get into the red zone, that's the 20 yard, the defense picks up another defender pretty much because it's such a condensed field that that's why you can, you can have someone like a Malcolm Butler, you know, come under a slant or something like that. So yes, like anything within like maybe I would say from four yards in, I would run or probably not four, maybe three, three yards in, I would run it, especially with a a guy like Leonard Fournette. You know, he's big, you know, he's, He's not afraid of contact. He's, you know, he's looking to hit someone. So, and he's what is he like six four, six six? So just his reach alone, Somewhere he around can probably there, yeah. get the three. You know what I mean? Like he can get the three yards pretty much by his reach. And so, yeah. You know, especially here's the thing: is Tom Brady's not mobile. If you had a mobile quarterback like Russell Wilson, or like, you know, Carson Wentz, or you know, Deshaun Watson then you can do something where you can scramble up his his throwing hand because that will give him yeah. another option. He can either run it or he can pass it. Tom Brady's not going to do that. You know what I mean? So yeah. just, just like stylistically and offensively, yes, they should have ran Leonard Fournette in an eye formation or even in the gun. You can use it in the gun and, you know, do like a sweep, you know, or something. So I, I, I don't – like I said, I didn't really get to see the Super Bowl. So – but I, you know, I, I definitely – from what you guys are saying and from like the highlights I've seen, it's like, why wouldn't you do that? You know? Well, from, from what I was looking at, it looked like they did the halfback dive both times. Oh, okay. gotcha. Instead, instead, instead of using Leonard Fournette, they used Ronald Jones on both <laughs> scenarios. And the second time, the, the second rush attempt uh, that Jones did, if he had just reached over over the line with the ball. He was short by like half, uh, I'd say a half yard. If he had just oh, reached wow. over the line with the ball, it would have counted as a touchdown. But yeah. instead, Kansas City was able to hold it. And, you know, it just, it, it gave the Chiefs an opportunity. Although Kansas City, they didn't really do much with it after that, though, actually. Because it, it it's just they I don't I don't know what was up with their you know with, with their offense maybe it was the fact that you know they 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 just got off to a slow to a slow start to begin with they only had four plays coming off of the turnover on downs starting at the one yard line. They only had four plays for 16 yards, and a majority of those yards came on the very of that uh, that drive. Then they give it right back to Brady, and Brady throws it once again to Gronk for for a touchdown. But I'd say probably, you know, I'll I'll say this: maybe the biggest reason why Kansas City lost this game is the fact that they were completely undisciplined on defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there were a lot of calls. As or, a of fact, or is that okay? What defense? Well, yeah, you could put it that way. But yeah, there, there were a lot of... There were, 
there were a lot of calls that were that were called on them. In particular, one in particular was was uh, an interception by Tyron Matthew. However, that th- this is what started him getting all pissed off and yelling and getting in Brady's face, which, by the way, was the biggest mistake that you can ever make because when you get in Brady's face, that then turns in, that turns Brady into pissed Big off trouble. Brady, Big and after trouble. that. After that, your any hopes you have of winning Screwed. that game are pretty much gone. Because right Screwed. after that, he specifically started targeting Matthew uh, or Matthew's uh, area of the field with with his passes, basically trying to put out a statement or something like that. Uh, but Matt. Uh, yeah, yeah. Tyron Matthew, he had an interception, but it was it, it was uh, negated due to a holding penalty. And we saw an awful lot of that in 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 this matchup here. And actually, as well, there was I believe they had well over a hundred yards of penalties. I think it was. I could I could be wrong, but I. They had well over 100 yards worth of penalties, and part of it was because of the pass interference calls that were being called on Tampa Bay, or not on Tampa Bay, on Kansas City. And, yeah, let me see here. The the total number of penalties, they had 11, flat, 11 penalties called on them for 120 yards, Kansas City did, compared to only four calls for 39 yards for Tampa Bay. And I, this just shows how horrible Kansas City was for, yeah. I'd say for the first six or seven possessions, Kansas City went 0-7 on third down, uh, on third down efficiency. I mean, this you was... the game that way. Yeah. Pat Mahomes, he didn't even reach 100 passing yards until the third quarter. So that's literally how much Tampa Bay was able to contain this Kansas City offense, which, you know, a lot of people were just absolutely stunned because a a lot of Kansas City's offense in the first quarter was all from, from the run game. But you know, it's it, it, it just it kind of makes you wonder if if Kansas City did have the, those two those two linemen if they were if they were officially you know not injured and they were actually playing in the Super Bowl, would we have seen a different story here? I think with any number of factors that took place, I think if they didn't happen, we would see a different game because this is not the way I expect. You know, the thing is, see, that every time that I make a prediction, thinking it's going to go one way, it goes exactly in the opposite direction. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I'm known for that as well, specifically oh, when I'm ta- whenever I've talked about uh, – 
I, I mean, you know how we've done our football picks previously on previous shows, and I've and I've said uh, certain things about about uh, certain matchups, and then lo and behold, you know the exact opposite thing ends up, ends up happening that very that, that that very next day. So yeah, you know, I've I've had I've had stuff happen like yeah. that uh, quite a few times. So more than I can care to admit. Yeah. So you know, let's put this out there. You know, everybody has been talking. There's been this huge debate ever since Brady basically won uh, his fifth or sixth Super Bowl. There's yeah. been this huge debate. You know, who is the greatest of all time? Is it Brady? I had on my show right too. Is it Brady? Is it Montana? You know, some people have even have even oh. thrown Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers into the equation. You gotta think with Brady win, going to another team, another conference, might I add? Uh, actually, let me a little bit a little bit of uh, trivia here. I don't know if you guys know. Uh, has there been any other quarterback that has won? the Super Bowl with both an AFC and an NFC team? Uh, No, I don't think so. So if that's the case, if Brady, if Brady is the first one to have won the Super Bowl with both an AFC and an NFC team, you know, a lot of people said that Brady's success was due to the system that, that New England has will help. Then why why did why did New England not succeed with Cam Newton at quarterback? You know if it's if it, if it has if it has to do with the with the system. You know why why did why why was uh, why was Cam Newton not able to succeed in New England this year? I think. What this season, what this season showed, is that all the success that the Patriots had was definitely because of Brady. I find it hard. I, I, I find it hard to believe that, you know, if 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 you were to have put Belichick onto a different yeah. team, I don't know if he goes to the Super Bowl. You know, with a, with a with probably a not team like like Brady did. Well, the whole purpose now, was, you know, was a sticking was a sticking to Belichick anyway, and he did. Yeah. Not just not just with his seventh Super Bowl ring, but also his fifth Super Bowl MVP, which is a record. Uh, actually, there was there were a lot of records that were set by Brady in this year's Super Bowl. He adds on to his record for most appearances by a player, most appearances by a starter, uh, most NFL titles won with seven, most wins with seven, most Super Bowl MVPs with five. He adds on to his uh, career pass attempts in the Super Bowl as well as completions. Uh, He adds on to the most passing yards, most touchdown passes, the oldest quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl. The oldest, the oldest, yeah, the oldest player to ever win a Super Bowl, the oldest player to ever win the MVP, 
Uh, he also set a record for the most touchdowns by a quarterback receiver tandem career in a Super Bowl with Brady and, and Gronk now connecting for five touchdowns in, in their career in a Super Bowl or in, in, in all of their Super Bowl appearances. I mean, but, but let's, let's start with you, Kyle. Does, does this Super Bowl win basically solidify, you know, regardless of, uh, you know what? Actually, let's go even further because we know that that uh, Michael Jordan, you know, he had six NBA titles, mm-hmm. and he's considered to right. be the greatest of all time in basketball. Mm-hmm. Does this solidify Brady as not just the greatest of all time in football, but maybe potentially putting him up there amongst other athletes as maybe the greatest athlete of all time? So I I read something and I, you know, I forget where um and I hate doing that because you know when you read something you you want to give credit to where it's due. So I think and this is no knock to Brady. I don't think he's the greatest athlete of all time because this no. point was valid and so true. American football is only played in North America in Canada if you really think about it. So I I, it's not a knock. It's not a knock towards Brady. No, but of course. Not. I, I, I don't. You, you know, I don't think you can, you can put him up in the likes of Diego Maradona. You know, um, mm. guys like Pele. You know, guys like MJ. You know, we'll even throw um, Bill Russell in there. He has eleven championship rings. Eleven. He has more championship rings than he has hands. I mean, than he has yeah. fingers. That's crazy. Eleven, yeah. and people are gonna yes. Here and here goes the, the knock to it. That was back in the day when the NBA has only ten teams or whatever. I don't care if there's two teams. Eleven right. is still eleven. What's greater? Let's do basic math here, guys. What's greater? Eleven, seven, or six? Eleven. Right. Eleven. Oh, well, clearly eleven. And so yeah, but remember, I mean, back then the NBA was different, and nobody. It wasn't really, you know much of a mainstream sport, nobody really, you know, uh, usually right. gave really a cat's ass, you know, like they do now. You know, I mean, this generation, I mean, if you ask anybody under the age of, well, I'm 51, ask him under the age of 30, they had not have a clue who Bill Russell is. That's true. True. Well, and I then, mean, you know, I mean, can, I would, so to, to, to them, it's irrelevant. To me, it isn't because I follow this stuff. And then you can you can say... MJ six and zero in games in in the biggest game, you know. Right. As as much as you know, as much as we want to say, right? And yes, I I think Brady is the goat, hands down, football goat, period. But he's also one in three against the NFC in Super Bowls, mm-hmm. with his only win against Philadelphia, by a mind you, by three points. So wait, he's so, one in three against. You mean one in three against the NFC East? Correct. Yes, the NFC yes. East. Sorry, yes, I forgot to put that little East in there. But yes, the only one coming against Philadelphia. So yes. Yeah. And so, you will, will I give him the the goat of football? Yeah. Will I say the sports? Probably not. I I would say. Yeah. I would, yeah. NFL one thing, like, but in sports in general, no. Right, and then. 
you got to look at also impact. Who had a bigger impact on their their respective game, MJ or Tom Brady? MJ literally changed the game of basketball. We're still talking about him to this day, and you know he made such an impact on the sport. You know, and then you can even bring soccer into it. Pele, Maradona, you know Ronaldo, Ronaldinho. You know, I think those guys are, I would say, are more overall goats in perspective of sports. Yeah, you do make a pretty good point too with 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 Jordan that that he pretty much changed the the game of basketball with the, with his dominance. So right. I was I because I, I, I had I had heard this this topic come up. I believe it was on Undisputed with the. Uh, uh, with Skip Bayless and and Shannon Sharp, I think I think it was that, or maybe it was the maybe it was the Colin Coward show. I forget which, but right. uh, they had brought up the option. You know, it, it should Brady be considered amongst not necessarily the greatest athlete of all time, but amongst you know the greatest athletes of all time, like Jordan and uh, and you know Russell and all the. You know all the big names. Like when you when you think of a certain sport, you think of like for example, when you think of Red football, speed. you think of Tom Brady. When you when you think of basketball, you think of Michael Jordan. When you think of hockey, right. you think of Wayne Gretzky. When you think of boxing, Muhammad Ali. Yeah, yeah, so, something like that, basically. I mean, right. I, it's pretty hard to ignore. I mean, yeah, he's lost the Super Bowl three times, right. but. Mm-hmm. You gotta get to the Super Bowl first, yeah. right? Before you can even lose. That's true. And of course, if he does and lose, he'll be you know a wuss about it. You know. Well, I don't know. Maybe not as big of a wuss as uh, as Pat Mahomes. He's a sore loser. You hear all the excuse. You hear all the excuses that have been that have been uh, put out this week. He's a sore loser, though, man. So That's the he- thing. To where he's blaming his receivers, his uh, his family yep. uh, was tra- was trashing the offense. He's blaming by the family, the concession people, uh, the the coaches, the people in the locker room, the broadcasters, everybody. And you know, I kind of I kind of feel bad for Mahomes that he's stuck in this uh, that he's stuck in this situation yeah. because. He seems like a genuine nice guy, you know. So on the outside, I mean this this kind of ruins when you're such a sore loser like this. This pretty much ruins your uh, sort of puts a dent on your image. Yeah. See, that's the thing. They're nice on the outside, but inside, oh boy, they could be a mean son of a bitch. Yeah. Now there there were some other records that were set as well. Uh, most receptions, mo- ah, if I can talk correctly here for a second, most receptions by a tight end in in the career in Super Bowls. Gronk added to his record. The most receiving yards by a tight end went to Travis Kelsey with his 133 yards. Uh, Bruce Arians he now becomes the oldest head coach to ever win a Super Bowl at 68 years and 325 days. 
Uh, the most penalty yards in any half goes to Kansas City with 95 yards in, I believe it was the first half that that they got a lot of their a lot of their uh, penalties. Uh, most first downs by penalty by any team that's six with uh, for Tampa Bay. The most first downs by penalty for both teams nine nine first downs between both teams. And obviously the lowest stadium audience attendance, which, I mean, come on, it's 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 yeah. COVID related. Why else why, why else would there be less uh, would there be less fans in the stands? Uh, but they only had twenty four thousand eight hundred and thirty five fans at at Super at Super Bowl fifty five, which is the uh, the lowest for for any Super Bowl. Well, when you consider the fact that, you know, what we've been through, it's, you know, not a surprise. Yeah, no, obviously not. Um, You know, I'd say maybe, you know, another thing that kind of shocked me as well is uh, one of the other points we brought up last week was the fact that, you know, which special teams unit would you you rather not face, Kansas City or Tampa? Mm -hmm. You know, I I had said I would not want to face the a Kansas City uh, special teams, but what the hell were they doing not putting McCole Hardman as their returner and instead using Byron Pringle? It kind of it kind of shocked me. So it, it, you know, it makes me wonder now if Hardman has. He's definitely taken a step back this year in his development, but I yes. kind of have to wonder now if he may have fallen in the depth chart now all of a sudden. Yeah. It, it, it was just really odd to me, see, uh, you know, seeing seeing him sparingly used when they probably could have used them. And even, you know, Sammy Watkins, Sammy Watkins didn't even have much of an impact either. Only one catch for 13 yards. It it, it really seemed like that, that Tampa Bay defense uh, by Todd Bowles absolutely smothered Kansas city. Uh. And, you know, now there's been, there has been a bit of a rumor uh, as to whether or not uh, t- whether or not Todd Bowles would eventually w- would take over following the Super Bowl the Super Bowl victory because there was a rumor that Bruce Arians would would retire following following uh, the Super Bowl and. According to Arians himself, he is not retiring. He is staying put. Although, from all indications, though, it sounds like whenever Arians does call it quits, that Todd Bowles will be the person to take over uh, the head coaching duties for for the Kansas City Chiefs, or not Kansas City for the for the uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Right. And you know, I think it would I think it would be well deserved for him because I I I still believe. That ball that uh, the New York Jets should never have gotten rid of Bowles, right? And not just that, but if you're going to get rid of Bowles and replace him with Adam Gase, 
I mean, we saw how poorly the Adam Gase uh, situation went for, you know, for uh, it for was the horrible. Jets. You know, we're gonna we're gonna tie this uh, this Super Bowl topic into another topic that came up. Obviously, there's some questions regarding you know who may who may resign with with uh, Tampa Bay and who may leave. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Leonard Fournette, he's a free agent. Antonio Brown's a free agent. Chris Godwin's a free agent. You know, there's going to be a whole bunch of questions. Uh, Ndamukong Sue is a free agent, I believe, uh, as well as Levante David. Um, I feel like I'm missing somebody with, with with the free agents here. But there's one notable player former franchise player that is now a free agent, and that is J.J. Watt, who shockingly shockingly was released by the Houston Texans a couple days ago following uh, – or actually, no, he was released yesterday as uh, he posted a, a video to Twitter saying that both him and the team had mutually agreed to part ways after he asked for his release. And I mean, it's kind of hard to blame him considering the fact that, you know, they're in such turmoil as it is. I mean, imagine if, or imagine if Tampa Bay is able to somehow sign JJ Watt because Let's face it, there are, there are a lot of players who have said they went to New England. It wasn't to play for Bill Belichick. It was to play with Tom Brady. Could there be a potential for, for Tom Brady to lure J.J. Watt down to Tampa? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. Think about it. This guy has been one of the most dominant linebackers in recent memory in the NFL. And they, I mean, they already have Levante David. They've already got Devin White. Imagine if you add JJ Watt to that equation, how much more fearsome does that defense all of a sudden become? Right, what are your thoughts, Lou? What, uh, do you think there's a possibility that we could potentially see J.J. Watt become a Tampa Bay Buccaneer? If Brady gets his way, yes. I think Brady's trying to lure him into, into coming to Tampa Bay, so I wouldn't be surprised. Ugh. I smell a rat. I mean, just just look at this resume. A three-time defensive player of the year, a five-time first-team All-Pro, a five-time Pro Bowler. He led the league in sacks twice. He is part of the 100-sack club. Uh, He was part of the All-Decade team, a unanimous uh, member, might I add, to the NFL 2010's All-Decade team. His total numbers as of this season – 531 total tackles, 101 sacks, 61 pass deflections, 
25 fumbles, 16 fumble recoveries, two picks, and four defensive touchdowns. I mean, my God. I I don't know if there's any other if there's any other player on the market that is as dominant as JJ Watt is. And plus he's still relatively young, 31 years old. Yeah. Although there's also the possibility as well that he may just decide to join his brother uh TJ over yeah. in Pittsburgh which you know that's another that's another situation as well. If he goes to Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's defense was one of the top defenses in the league this year. He goes if he goes to Pittsburgh, that terrifying defense becomes even more terrifying this this uh upcoming uh-huh. year. But I think the biggest question that you have to ask when it comes to this deal, as when it comes to this whole situation as a whole, how the hell did Houston not try and trade him? I mean, you have a guy that could, you know, if you're trying to rebuild your franchise, you have a guy that could easily net you a treasure trove of draft picks. I mean, try, you know, try, try and try and basically piece this together, Lou. How the hell does this yeah. make sense where you have a stud like J.J. Watt and you basically just let, you basically just, just flat out release him. You don't even you don't even try to trade him to another to another team. Yeah, I don't get that. I mean, I, it, it, it just yeah, it, that, it just doesn't baffling. make sense. Yeah, it really doesn't. I'm baffled by it myself. You know what? What? Uh, just uh, just looking at it, it kind of sounds like the front runner for JJ Watt. Is indeed yeah. the uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. From what just from what it, from what it from what it sounds like when it comes to you know when it when it comes to uh, betting odds and everything. As a matter of fact, I have the list here. Uh, Pittsburgh's the favorite at four hundred. Then you have the Green mm. Bay Packers at nine hundred. You have the Buffalo Bills and the Seattle Seahawks at a thousand. Followed by the Raiders, the Dolphins, and the Bucks, all at 1100. The Colts at 1200. Kansas City and Tennessee at 1300. New England at 1400, and Baltimore at 1500. Right. So if I if I'm looking at those top four odds, Steelers, Packers, Bills, Seahawks, those are all. Those would be terrifying defenses. Yeah. If J if JJ decides to join either of those four. And uh you know, if I was a betting man, I would probably put him I would probably put odds on him to join the Steelers. But then again, you know what I've said before about my predictions that I've made on this show. Yeah, and so have I. Yeah, they 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 often after four years don't. we know better. Yeah, you would think. They all they all often end up not coming true, 
But yeah. in this scenario, it kind of makes sense. If if Ben Roethlisberger, there's rumors going around that Ben Roethlisberger is going to restructure his contract to where they can use the extra money to go after to go either go after certain players or re-sign certain players. If he does that, don't rule out the opportunity for them to potentially go after J.J. Watt. Because I guarantee you, it's probably going to happen. And considering the fact that T.J. Watt, his brother, is, you know, already on the roster, it just makes it more enticing for him to, uh, you know, to decide to join his brother. Uh, now, obviously, also uh, on the Deshaun Watson front, you know they're still they're still basically refusing to they're, they're still refusing to trade to trade Deshaun Watson. Watson is mm-hmm. still basically he he they're still basically gonna going to keep him for the most part. So that kind of sucks for him, but. Uh, yes. you know, it's, yeah, it, 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 it still, it still sucks for him. And there was one option that was, that was brought up to, you know, maybe perhaps he, maybe perhaps Deshaun may, may end up showing up to camp and then faking a hamstring pull basically. To where you know he would still he would still show up and I, I believe that this might have been potentially suggested actually by a uh, by a, a certain by a player but th- that he may he may try and go through with this but what are your thoughts on on Deshaun Watson do you think uh, this may be heading down uh, a very dangerous road here to where Houston, you know, if they if they they may they may decide to basically uh, you know not even not even uh, get written, you know not not even trade him for for picks. They they may yeah. they may decide to try and do something to where you know what we'll just we'll just flat out release him. Yeah. Like they did with J.J. Watt. You would think they were going to do that. So, I mean, it's it's just horrible business practice being run down there in Houston. Sure. And I just, I, I, I really don't understand what the, hell, what the hell they're doing. Because if I was Houston... I'd be making sure I I I would get some uh some sort of compensation. Uh right. specifically for JJ Watt because you do not let your franchise player leave without trading him. And as far as Watson goes, uh, there's a report out that says he is actually intrigued by a potential trade to the Broncos or the 49ers. Uh, In particular, when it says, uh, as far as Watson potentially being traded to the Jets, 
Jeremy Fowler of ESPN has said probably not. So that basically has cooled the hopes of Jets fans who believed that their new head coach, Robert Sally, could potentially lure Watson to New York. Uh According to Channel 9 News is uh, Mike Kliss, which is who was a longtime Broncos beat reporter. He has confirmed, apparently, that league insiders have said that Watson is interested in, Den- in Denver as a potential landing spot. Uh, the Niners, you know, they've also been brought up as a, as a potential landing spot, assuming they're able to, to trade away Jimmy Garoppolo to free up the money. Um. I mean, there, there's a whole bunch of different options, with, uh, specifically with the Broncos and the Niners, and they would they would definitely provide upgrades for him offensively, uh, with who he has to work with. And you know, obvi- obviously, with the as long as the Texans continue to play hardball with, uh, you know, with Deshaun Watson it's fairly obvious that he's probably never going to play another down with, uh, with the Houston Texans. So I, could you see, who could you see more realistically between those two teams, the Broncos and the Niners, who, who would you see as a, with a more realistic chance of potentially landing Watson? Hmm. Broncos and the Chargers. Yeah. I'm going to go on a limb, and um, well, they're both pretty bad. But uh, between, I think yeah, between, between the, the Niners, you know what? I kind of agree with that. I kind of agree with that because uh, when it comes to the Niners, they still have. Keep in mind, they still have to move that massive contract that Garoppolo has. Yeah. And I don't think you're I don't think you're gonna see many teams willing to take on the contract of a guy who who has been unable to show so far that he can actually stay out that he can stay healthy. And yeah, he took he he took uh the Niners to the Super Bowl last year, but thing is a huge a huge factor when it comes to whether or not you know, teams will be willing to take a guy on. Uh, let's see, some other bits of news here. Uh, the Pouncey brothers, Marquise and Mike Pouncey, yeah. have both retired at the at the age of 31 years old. Uh, Marquise was, was drafted 18th overall by the Steelers in 2010, while Mike went 15th overall to the Dolphins the very next year, and, and then ended up playing two seasons for the Chargers. Uh, Marquise's retirement saves the Steelers about $8 million in cap space, which, uh, hint, hint, J.J. J. Watt, you, uh, you may uh, want to drop the, the, the red alert sirens uh, yeah. in Pittsburgh because of, uh, you know, that just adds on to potential money that could be given to Watt. Uh, however, though, this does raise some questions about Roethlisberger's return. 
as both Pouncey and Roethlisberger often talked about playing as long as the other one did. So whenever one would retire, the other one would retire as well. Uh, Now, a chronic hip injury ended Mike's final NFL season back in September when he was placed on injured reserve by the Chargers following surgery. Uh, he was uh, he was currently scheduled to be an unrestricted free agent this year. So this this sort of ties in a little bit to to Ben Roethlisberger. You know he didn't really look too happy after after lose uh you know in the final minutes of that loss to the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs. Could Mar- could Marquise Pouncey's retirement potentially uh, convince Roethlisberger to hang to hang it up? Well, I think they have to get. I think considering how Roethlisberger has played this past year and aging, I think uh, this is going to. I think uh, we have seen the last of him. I don't think he's going to come back uh, next year. I'd be shocked, honestly, with him with him getting up there in age. He's going to be, I think, thirty nine yeah. years old this year. Mm-hmm. And even though he was still, you know, a lot of people had him in consideration for comeback player of the year before, of course, uh, Alex Smith ended up winning it, but. Looking at his numbers, you know, it, it looked like he was back to the old Ben Roethlisberger, but I mean, he's 38 years old, and about in about a month he'll be 39. You yeah. know, there's quarterbacks uh, of his stature. I mean, he is pretty out of shape for. For a thirty-nine, for a soon-to-be thirty-nine-year-old quarterback, yeah. especially one that doesn't really move around that much. I mean, Brady's forty-three, but hell, he's in phenomenal shape. But mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I, I'm not really, I'm not really too sure about about Roethlisberger if he decides to come back for another year. Uh, I would. I think more than likely they may potentially hand things off to Mason Rudolph now, specifically if mm-hmm. uh, Roethlisberger does does decide to hang it up. He's still contemplating it. I I guess maybe perhaps he's going to try to uh, try you know try to uh, free up some of his salary to allow. Pittsburgh Steelers to go after somebody else, but if they can't, you know, maybe perhaps he may then decide to hang it up. Yeah. Uh, Let's see here. Trevor Lawrence uh, will reportedly need about four to five months of recovery time after undergoing left shoulder surgery. Uh. Well, actually, no, he didn't undergo it yet, but he did throw for NFL scouts yesterday ahead of Clemson's pro day, uh, which is a decision that will basically allow him to undergo surgery as soon as possible. 
looking at a four to five month recovery time frame. He is the presumed number one pick in this year's draft. Uh, he did say to reporters, I think I can throw in six to eight weeks after the surgery, start throwing again, and then looking at a full at a four to five month full clearance. So that would mean that he should be ready to practice without limitations sometime in July. Uh, surprisingly, though, it says here that he impressed during Friday's throwing session. Uh, his non-throwing shoulder issue likely won't deter the Jaguars from using the number one pick on him, which I mean, kind of makes sense. You know, if you're, they currently have uh, Gardner Minshew, but it's it's fairly obvious that Gardner Minshew, you know, he isn't the he isn't the guy to basically build around. No, clearly not. Uh. Sticking with the Jaguars, though, ESPN's Adam Schefter did report yesterday that Jaguars strength and conditioning coach Chris Doyle has resigned. Uh, Their current coach, Urban Meyer, hired Doyle on Thursday despite a reported track record of questionable training techniques and racist behavior. Last year, of course, for college football fans know, Last year, Iowa fired Doyle after sending more than a dozen student-athletes to the hospital over two decades of coaching and after making a threat about sending a student-athlete, quote-unquote, back to the ghetto. Meyer had supposedly vetted Doyle prior to hiring him this offseason, but he either glossed over his history or simply didn't care. Uh, as to why he resigned, Doyle said he did not want to be a distraction. So this is already strike one for Meyer, who has brought off-the-field off issues to each team he's been a part of recently in his coaching career. Uh, let's see. You know what? This is this is uh, probably something that we should talk about. We were discussing this over in our Sports Whispers group earlier today. Yeah. Uh, one of our members brought up. Uh, we're talking college basketball. Uh, one of our members brought up uh, yeah. the fact that Kansas, Duke, and Kentucky, as well as other schools like UNC, uh, they're really struggling this year when it comes to yeah when it comes to their records uh, and considering the fact that they have these, uh, they have big time coaches that normally are, you know, normally are contenders every year in college basketball. Yeah. I wonder what happened. Uh, you know, that's a big question. You know, why aren't we seeing the usual contenders like Duke, like Kansas, like Kentucky this year when yet looking at, you know, j- just looking at some of the teams that we have here in the top 25, you know, Gonzaga, they're they're pretty much staying where they have where they have been. You know, they're undefeated 20 and 0. Uh, in recent years, they've been they've been climbing back up into the uh, into the mix in terms of uh, contendership for for March Madness and stuff like that. Uh, you know, you still have Ohio State there, 17 and 4. You got Baylor seventeen and zero, Michigan thirteen and one, Villanova thirteen and three. Uh, actually, let me check in particular. Is 
Oh, Syracuse has even fallen off as well. Yeah. So, you know, uh, what are your thoughts on this, Lou? Why are we seeing these big-name universities who have often been known, uh, you know, for their recruiting – why are we why are we seeing these universities now all of a sudden having problems you know fielding uh well, I fielding think maybe the pandemic teams. this year may have played a role in it you know nobody's really you know doing very very well and uh, i i think it's starting to show a much uh, you know it's turning everybody in the, in the big schools so i think this would uh play a role in it I mean, you know, Kansas, they're 15 and 7, but somehow they're not even ranked in the top mm. 25. This ranking system uh, is ridiculous Kentucky, anyway. But Kentucky, you have 6 you have 6 and 13 for Kentucky. The worst season since the 60s. Yeah. I think you heard it. You have a eight, Duke, you have a 8 and 8, which normally you're not expecting Duke to be a 500 team. No, you know, you're expecting Duke to be uh, to be above. Uh, so, I mean, is it is it because of COVID? Is it maybe perhaps I think uh, it's other a universities factor. are? You know, I I tend I tend to think that maybe it might be because of the fact that other universities, you know, are hiring new coaches and they've basically maybe perhaps they've stepped up their game when it comes to recruiting. Uh-huh. You know, could that potentially could that potentially have played a have played a role in this? Because it it it, it just seems very odd that we're we're looking at universities that are usually contenders, and we we haven't we haven't seen any. Basically, the university out of all these out of all these teams that are that is in the best position is Kansas. Yeah. And actually, I mean, North Carolina, you know, they're 12 and 7, but, you know, they're not even ranked. So, I, it, it just seems very odd that all these, all these uh, super teams are now all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden they've basically fallen off of the, uh, fallen off of the, the face of college basketball, essentially. Yeah, fallen on the face of the earth. Well, you could say that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Going going into baseball for a little bit here. Uh, there was one move that was that was done this past week, as John Heyman of MLB Network reported earlier this week that the Kansas City Royals agreed to acquire Andrew Benintendi from the Boston Red Sox in a three-team deal that also involved the New York Mets. Uh, Franchi Cordero and Mets pitching prospect Josh Winchowski would go to the Red Sox in this deal, and outfield prospect Khalil Lee would go to the New York Mets. Uh, The Mets are also expected to give up an extra player, and the Kansas City Royals will give up two extra players to be named later, uh, all three of them will go to the Boston Red Sox. 
Now, here's my big my big question here. If the guy that you're looking to acquire is Ben Intendi, how the hell do you send the best prospect of this entire deal to another team other than where the player you're looking to get is from? I mean, what what are your thoughts on this, Lou? You know, that Khalil Lee, he's considered to be one of the top best in Major yeah. League Baseball. And instead of going to the Boston Red Sox, they send him to the New York Mets, who aren't even – who aren't, they're basically an add-on team to help facilitate right. this deal. That's not a good move at all. I mean, it's a good, it's a good move for the Kansas City Chiefs or Kansas City Chiefs for the Kansas City Royals. You know, yeah. they're acquiring uh, Benintendi, who a lot of people believe is a is a candidate for a bounce back season this year. But and not, not just that, but also Boston is sending two point eight million dollars of his remaining six point six million dollars salary. Uh, to the Kansas City Royals in this deal. So you would think that Boston would be getting more value in yes. this move because of the fact that they're paying part of Benintendi's salary, but instead they get the lesser of the prospects. And they sent, and instead the, the New York Mets are the team that get, that get the best prospect in this deal. Yeah, it just we'll it doesn't make sense to me. No, it really doesn't. It does that kind of now, 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 because of this move, uh, Cordero would seemingly be in line to take over in left field in Boston. Uh, probably going to platoon maybe with uh, with Hunter Renfro from All Indications. Um. Benintendi, you know, he gets a much-needed fresh start over in Kansas City where he will be under team control until the 2022 season. Uh, Cordero, you know, he's under, he's under, uh, under control for the, until the 2023 season for the Red Sox. And he's always – the thing with Cordero is he's always wowed fans with his, uh, with his arsenal, with his power – but he's basically a strikeout machine, and he also has a terrible time staying healthy. Um, the thing, is, and, and you know, like I said, Lee is the more intriguing of the of the two prospects that have been moved in this deal, as he batted two sixty four with eight homers, stolen bases at the Double A level in twenty nineteen, and he was ranked by MajorLeagueBaseball dot com by MLB.com as the Royals' number eight prospect in their organization. Uh, He does strike out a lot for a guy who hasn't shown a ton of home run power, but he is nearly major league ready from all indications. Um, And as far as Winchowski goes, he he had just been acquired by the Mets from the Blue Jays in the deal that saw, uh, that saw Stephen Matz go to the Blue Jays. And they label him as a potential back-end-of-the-rotation back starter 
you know, uh, we also had a discussion about this in Sports Whispers, too. And I can tell you right now, Jim is none too pleased, and neither am I, that Ben and Tendi talks have basically shipped out Ben and Tendi specifically yes. for this return. I, I mean, what are your thoughts on this on this uh, on this deal? Does it seem like the like the Red Sox may have potentially given up on Ben and Tendi a bit too early, considering the fact that he. You know, he was known back in 2018 for a lot of a lot of game-saving catches. That without them, he may the Red Sox yeah. may not have won the World Series that year. I agree. I think they're just I just think they're just giving up on him. I mean, well, you can see the last two three years, what have the Red Sox really done? Nothing. You know, they Nothing. went from uh, champions in 2018, and now they're at the bottom of the barrel. So uh, I think maybe they're they're, they're just uh, ready to ditch him. He's not, you know, now, as powerful the, as he once was. He is the he is the former uh, sixth overall pick in the 2015 draft. Uh, you know, through through four seasons, or I'm sorry, wait. Hang on, I got I got to make sure I have this correct here. Uh, mm-hmm. No, through through five seasons with the team, and keep in mind he had just. He had just finished off the first year of his two-year, ten million dollar contract uh, that he had signed before this past season. Uh, through five seasons with the team, he has a career batting average of two seventy-five, despite last year's horrible year he had, uh, fifty-one homers and two hundred and sixty runs batted in, and plus he's a lefty. Who the who the Red Sox are uh, are they're desperately looking for lefty batters. To me, it just it really seems I, I really think that the that the Sox are gonna are gonna deeply regret having made this this trade mm. because you know every single time a player leaves the Red Sox, on most occasions they often end up coming back to bite the Sox in the ass. And, and no doubt about it, it will. And more often than not, they end up uh, they end up excelling in their new uh, in their new homes. So, what are, what are your thoughts, Lou, on this uh, on this move? Well, like I just said, I think the Red Sox have given up have given up on them. Um, you know. The last time they did anything was, you know, 2018, but they haven't done anything since then. And, you know, they're, and he's not doing as well as he, as he has been. So I think maybe there was actually a weapon by Dean. Yeah, I think Kansas City got themselves one hell of a, uh, one hell of a left fielder. Yeah. And something tells me he's going to have a bounce back year this year. Now the Yankees, they have lost uh, James Paxton as the yeah. Seattle Mariners have officially agreed to a deal, a one-year, $8.5 million, $8.5 million deal with James Paxton uh, with bonuses, it says here, bonuses that can make the deal worth as much as $10 million. Uh, it says here he will earn an additional $750,000 with 10 games and another 750000 at 20 games. 
that he starts. Uh, He returns to the team that originally drafted him in the fourth round of the 2010 draft. He made 102 starts over six seasons with the Mariners, earning himself uh, a reputation as a starter with frontline potential by the way of a 3.58 ERA over 582 and a third in it. Wait, that can't be right. Hang on. Yeah, 582 and a third innings through through six seasons. Uh, the Mariners then dealt him, obviously, of course, to the Yankees shortly following the 2018 season originally for Dom Thompson-Williams, uh, Eric Swanson, and Justice Sheffield. So, assuming he has good health, you know he should he should uh, he should have no trouble reaching those those performance incentives uh, for the Seattle Mariners. Health, of course, though, always hasn't always been his strong suit, as he made just five starts for the Yankees uh last year with 29 28 24 and 20 starts made the four years prior so what are your thoughts about about this with uh with Paxton leaving the Yankees I kind of surprised because Paxton I think was doing a pretty good job for the Yankees and you know they're not going to take him back so um that disappoints me I mean, he wasn't. He wasn't that uh, bad. No, and also considering the fact too that the Yanka going back to Japan, right? You know, now you're kind of counting on on Severino to somehow stay healthy. You know, you you gotta you gotta have to wonder. You know, if Severino ends up going to, ends up going down with an injury again, you guys might be in trouble. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the uh, when it comes to the rotation, yeah, I mean Pax was you know rather popular, and you know, and they give him up like that. I mean Tanaka is one thing because Tanaka wasn't really you know I was a little skeptic about him, but Paxton, I think they should have kept him. Well, I guess, I guess you know his uh, his asking price was apparently uh, too much for the Yankees. Uh, you know, to, I guess eight million dollars or eight and a half million was too high for the Yankees to potentially bring him back. Yeah. And uh, this actually just yeah this uh, this actually just uh, just was announced shortly before the podcast started tonight. Uh, Justin Turner has been re-signed yep. by the LA Dodgers for two years, thirty-four million, with a fourteen million dollar team option for a third year. Uh the deal also includes an eight million dollar signing bonus and built in escalators that could raise the overall value of the deal to, to fifty two million dollars over three years, depending on MVP mm. voting. I mean it doesn't really it doesn't really amount to much of a surprise considering he's been, no, no. Uh, you know, he's been one of the biggest stars that LA has had uh, within the past couple of decades. 
Uh, he was an all-star back in 2017. He earned down-ballot MVP votes in each of the 2017, 2016, 2017, and 2018 seasons. Uh, for his career, he owns a 292 batting average with 124 homers and – uh, it says here twenty nine and a half wins above replacement. So, you know, it, this just seemed like a foregone conclusion that he was eventually going mm-hmm. to be re-signed by the uh, by the Dodgers. All right, we do have uh, we do have a uh, a new caller, area code six one two. You are on the air. Yes, sir. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, how are you doing today? Uh, good. You? Doing well. Um, I was hoping to uh, talk to you about the whole, like, I know it's in the last year or so, the political left, if for lack of a better term, in America uh, seems to always get involved in the sports in a way that I thought, like, traditionally in America, we kept politics, like, you know, out of stuff or didn't really talk about it because it was a divisive issue. I'm just wondering, like, do you think it's acceptable that one side politically seems to just throw themselves into everything now? Uh, like, like, what, like, what in what in particular uh, when it comes when it comes to politics? For example, like, if you take a look at how the NBA and the NFL have basically been treating like social justice, or when it came to the election how they were obviously essentially trying to advocate people to go out and vote for Democrats. And it was, I always felt, you know, growing up, I mean, I'm I'm an immigrant myself, so I don't, maybe this is just my lack of understanding American culture, but I I was taught when I was younger that Americans had this concept of don't talk about religion and politics because it was a divisive thing. So we kind of, kind of kept that out of the public forum, but it seems recently the left politically seems to like get into everything like especially sports, and it seems like they're trying to like force their views on all society instead of just you know keeping it in the, in oh, the political I get, sphere. I get, yeah. well, I get what you're saying. Kind of, kind of like, kind of like how they, how they did, how they've done in the NBA, where uh, in particular when the whole Black Lives Matter stuff was going on, and NBA, there were some NBA teams that decided not to play because of. Uh, because of all the Black Lives Matter protests and everything, so they were basically refusing to play in protest because of uh, because of those events. And basically, it it, it kind of seems like the whole entire sports world has. And you know what? We can actually kind of say that this kind of started all the way back with Colin Kaepernick. You know, when he decided to kneel, it had. When he decided right. to kneel for uh, for the uh, the national anthem, and you know people made such a big deal out of it, and then we ended up seeing, you know, we ended up seeing a whole bu- a whole bunch of players and, and different teams uh, decide to kneel in solidarity as well. But yet, for some re- for some reason, you know, now when when stuff like that has has happened, uh, some some players have done that now in football. You know, 
it kind of seems like now it's 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 more of an issue. I don't know if it, if maybe it's perhaps because of the fact uh, everybody is much more sensitive now in considering the fact that we considering the fact that that this is the age of social media you know where uh everything spreads right. quickly you know whether it's twitter whether it's facebook uh you know it, it just it, it really seems like the stuff that that may have that may have happened in say like for example say say this stuff may have may have gone down back in you know, the early 2000s or maybe the 90s, you know, potentially, this yeah. may not have, this may not have been much of an issue compared to what we're seeing now. Right. That, and also like, it seems that most journalists who cover sports, especially the almost majority of them seem pretty liberal as it is. And it just, and again, this is yeah. from an outsider's view, but it kind of seemed like the last president you guys had in Trump, like, seemed to have triggered or like whatever it is, like he got he got such a response out of these people that it seems like they couldn't help but to put politics in everything they talked about, even in issues that had nothing to do with politics, because it seemed right. like they were like singularly focused on getting this guy out of office. I mean, it's just me, but it just it seemed like that, especially the last two years. It seemed like everything was like. You would they could take a random subject like you know spring training in in baseball, and somehow they're going to mention politics in it in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, it 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 did see it did seem kind yeah, of weird was. that you know that uh, that we started to see more stuff like this be integrated into sports in recent years, considering the fact that I mean obviously of the of the current political climate the past couple of years and how I, you know, I wish, I wish I had more of a, uh, you know, more of, of a reasoning behind how, how it could potentially have ended up this way, because I mean, granted we, you know, I don't, I don't really like to dive much into politics during, uh, during sports shows, but because it has a bit of an impact on sports here, um, yeah, you know, obviously we know how how divided the country has been the past couple of years because of of uh, former President Trump. But yeah, it it, it kind of makes you wonder if if he had never gotten into politics. Let's say it was a, let's say it was a different uh, a different candidate that ended right. up winning the presidency from the Republican Party or. You know, maybe maybe perhaps Hillary would have ended up winning. You know, yeah. would this would would this still be going on right now? No, or is it or is if, it just because if Hillary had it, won, no. But if another Republican had won, I think yes. Now, you know, part part of part of uh part of my my thinking here though is because of the fact that another thing too is that Trump has been so outspoken during his presidency when it comes to when it comes to sports you know he he made he made his thoughts well known about the whole Colin Kaepernick issue and about 
you know, certain, you know, sports and I think he talked mostly, mostly football when it came to their protests and stuff, uh, you know, with the kneeling and everything on the field. It, it just, I think it more of it, like, you could me. say, like, Trump was like a megaphone for, like, conservative views that otherwise don't get expressed that much in, like, mainstream media. And so I think it's more of he brought an awareness to it that otherwise usually you don't see outside of, like, Fox News. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because, like, if you yeah. look at almost everything on TV, on, like, all the news stations and most of the newspapers and all the late-night talk shows in America – it's almost exclusively like liberal leaning. Like you can't even find like that many shows that are like leaning towards Republicans. It's almost always one way. And yeah. so it seemed more like Trump's president because he was, he had such a, you know, like you could call it a bully pulpit or whatever, but the guy just amplified the conservative view. I don't think he like necessarily was that controversial. He was just saying what most conservatives feel that I, th- I feel like the liberal part of America just usually never hears, and they were comfortable not hearing it. And because of Trump, they kind of had to hear it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's, I, I, it, I, I definitely get where you're going, where you're going with this. Uh, Lou, let me, yeah. let's, 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 uh, let's bring this over to you. You know, what are your thoughts on, you know, the fact that all of these movements that, you know, have basically a huge political side to them have, or a huge political influence to them have all of a sudden the past couple of years basically spilled out into, uh, into the sports world. It is a shame because, you know, politics, I don't believe any, any visits in sports. I mean, it's two different realms altogether, but they just write it into the mud. And that's what's been going on for the past few years. You know, I think you should have just kept it outside. Of, you know, the area. just keep it in your in your own little, you know, your own little area. And as far as um, you know, since Trump came in, it's been, it's been it has been getting worse. You know, if if it was uh, it was a Democrat, I don't think we would have had this uh, problem. Um, you know, with, with what we're going through uh, with now, with the protesting and the riots and whatnot, basically. You know, but but the Trump made it worse because a lot of them, you know, despise Trump, and that's what caused it to escalate. And that's been going on since before he was president. It was when he was announced that he was running. That's when this whole thing got started. Yeah, actually, and actually, you can, uh, I can, I can point out as well because I remember specifically reading about uh, reading certain certain athletes that may have been retweeted uh, from some, from some of my, uh, some of the people I follow on Twitter uh, throughout the whole black lives matter stuff, you know, LeBron James, Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics, you know, there were a lot of athletes that, that had spoken out basically uh, to pretty much talking about how, you know, they, it was finally their time to be heard. Uh, you know, it, it kind of seemed like they were making it into they, pretty much the whole Black Lives the whole Black Lives Matter thing was. They basically saw what this is just my opinion of it. They basically yes. saw what they saw what the uh, climate was in 
in the uh, in the United States when it came to to views on certain things, and they know just exactly how you know how what this pres- what our former president's views were against uh against certain people you know like how how he always he always uh railed on antifa and stuff like that and you know they feel that they're that they're uh they've had enough of being silenced basically is if if right. I recall correctly, that's that's how LeBron worded it. Uh, well, it's got on one they, they have more of a financial incentive because these these athletes understand that you know they're trying to promote their personal brands and so forth, and they understand in order to yeah. do that they need to get on the good side of the media, and so these athletes and their agents are perceptive enough to realize that the majority of the media is very liberal, and so that the liberal media encourages athletes to speak out on political things if they're gonna express views that support the the left side politically. So, for example, if LeBron James was a Trump supporter wearing a MAGA hat, the media would have a very negative response to him, and that would have hurt his brand, Mm -hmm. which is why you 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 rarely see conservatives come out. Like, for example, remember a couple years ago Tom Brady was known as a Trump supporter and he had, like, a Make America Great Again hat in his his locker? Remember the backlash he got from the media? Right, he got a lot of negative media coverage from that. But if yep. they, but and, then when you watch when you when you see a, an athlete who supports a Democrat, whether it's Biden or Hillary, or like puts out a, or you know supports an idea that liberals support, they're get they're amplified, they're given all these positive news coverage, and so the athletes see that, and so they realize, especially in this last election when the the liberal media was so like desperate to get Trump out, anyone who spoke out on a political issue that the left supported, they were given a massive platform and they were amplified to the nth degree. And I think in the case of LeBron, LeBron is obviously planning to be a politician once he's done with sports. That's obvious. And so he's trying to garner support amongst Democrats and liberal media, which is why he came out so aggressively against Trump. He was essentially campaigning for Biden during the, during the campaign. I don't remember an athlete of his stature in the last 20 years that ever did something like that. That was like literally Campaigning for a for a presidential candidate, and so I just I, my whole thing is I'm an independent. I'm just saying, imagine if the shoes on the other foot would this would it be the same? And it wouldn't. And that's kind of like where I see the country at. Where that's why it seems like Democrats are so comfortable pushing their views on everybody, whereas conservatives can't. And Democrats mm-hmm. are emboldened because the media, which is like ninety percent liberal makes them feel like, oh, we're the we're the majority, therefore you can go out and put your views and we're gonna we're gonna define everything as instead of defining politics as your your preference, like your favorite flavor of ice cream, now it's gonna be liberal is right, conservative is wrong, which is crazy. Because politics is just preference. Is There's no right or wrong answer. But I don't know. That's why they're in you know that's why it's like they feel like they have the right to put their views on everybody else who doesn't agree with them and demand that you accept it. Otherwise, they'll cancel you, right? That's what the whole cancel culture is about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like that, you, uh, know, you, know, it's, you know the lady from Star Wars, the, the Mandalorian series? Yeah. Uh, What's her name? Gina, Gina Carano. Gina Carano, right? Exactly. The uh, former MMA right. star. Yeah, so you have she – gets, she gets then kicked off the series while they have another guy. I believe he was a producer or 
some other guy from the Mandalorian series who put out similar tweets that were on the left politically, where he, I think he compared, he had images of Nazi concentration camps and, you know, the, like the kids being in cages and was comparing similar to what she did when, because remember her whole, her whole issue was she compared the environment in Nazi Germany to the political climate now and how the Nazis sort of demanded everyone accept what they say and no one could have a dissenting view. That guy did a similar thing from a liberal perspective, and yet there's no pushback. He's not getting kicked off the series, and they're like, that just shows how it's just a, it's just a double standard. Yeah. And it's always it, uh, one way. Like, you never hear a liberal getting canceled ever unless they, like, commit some crime. Otherwise, if they say something like, you know, like Twitter never – I've never seen Twitter ban all these people online who are making these crazy threats. Like, you had one actor, I don't know if it was Tom Arnold or someone else, talking about uh, they needed to cage Trump's son, Bar- uh, Baron, and, and sodomize him. And it oh, was like – God. You know? Yeah, and I'm just saying, like, he, he, didn't, yeah. get, he didn't get suspended for that. Or anything, but then you always see conservatives get suspended for like any like even the most basic political commentary, and it just you know I I don't I'm just wondering as a country like is this what America is going to be because America used to be the country where you could freely express whatever you wanted, and now it seems like you can only express things if you're a liberal, and if you're a conservative you got to keep silent. Yeah, you know right. it's. Uh, for, first, uh, first off, I just I really think that politics should basically be kept out of sports. You know, like, like yes. what, what you mentioned earlier with with uh, what you mentioned earlier with Tom Brady. You know how he uh, obviously, you know, he was a close friend of uh, of Trump's, but he decided, uh, you know, to sort of distance himself from politics because of the fact that another thing too you mentioned brands you know he was just develop he was developing the uh, tb12 brand at the time and obviously you know trump had, trump had uh, had asked him you know to to endorse him and whatnot and brady refused to do so uh i just i, I just really think you know as, as lou had said that excuse me politics should be politics should be one one world Sports should be yes. another. You know, both shouldn't intersect, basically. Yeah. And with the way that that the country has been the past four, I mean, let's face it, this country hasn't been this divided uh, the past four years since long ago. Oh, since long the last time we had a Republican president, it was like that under Bush too. Which one? I mean, not to this, Bush, not to this Bush extent, Bush Jr. Yeah, it, it seems like it's always this way whenever there's a Republican president. Yeah, I it was like this too. under Reagan and Bush, and it's because the media, yeah, but, how I mean, the media was, acts, because the media doesn't care. It, like when it, Obama's president, they didn't care. Just like right now, notice how the media all of a sudden doesn't care what the president does anymore. Remember, like in the last four years, we used to get daily reports on Trump. And I mean, the guy could pass gas, and it was like yeah. the frontline news on the evening news. Now with Biden, when's the last time you saw a real news piece on Biden? Like he, you essentially True. consider he's not even there anymore. You know? I haven't. True. And don't you think that's maybe kind of why the country supposedly feels no. divided when it only seems to be when a Republican's in office, the media is all of a sudden on the attack, but then when a Democrat's in office, they're yeah. either on defense or they just sit on the sideline and really don't say anything. You don't think that's kind of why 
the country it gets like that? Oh, I think it's related to it. I mean, you do you do bring up an interesting point there. You know, I mean, it's 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 clear as day, basically. You know, it, it would be it would be hard to ignore that. Uh, you know, obviously, the way things went under Trump uh, obviously garnered more attention because of the fact that you know he couldn't go a single day without tweeting something that would make people wonder, you know, whether or not he was gonna. Uh, whether his next tweet would be about starting a war with a certain country, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, he didn't, though. Isn't that interesting? Like, he actually went to North Korea, did a peace summit with the North Korean leader when everyone thought he was going to go to war. Yeah, I did. did Isn't it interesting how, like, he literally was trying to, like, pull out of Syria, get out of the Middle East, bring the troops back, and it was like the same people who were criticizing him about that were the same people telling him that he should stay there. Yeah, I, I'm just I, wondering I how the, like if the American people notice that stuff at all. Like it just seems like the media puts out this claim about him. Like you remember before he got in in '16, they said the economy was going to tank because of his policies, and yet before the COVID thing hit, the economy was doing great. And then they talked about like he was going to take us to war, but then he did the exact opposite. I'm just wondering, yeah. like, do you notice that stuff at all? Mm-hmm. I mean, I just it just seems like the the, the propaganda on the, from the left is like it's unreal, but and they're never accountable yeah, for yeah. either. Like, how do they? Cause again, coming from my country, I've, I've never seen anything where like one side could make something outlandish claim like the whole Russian collusion thing, and it was a two-year thing. Sir? I'm from Ethiopia, but I'm just wondering, oh. like, if you noticed how. After the Russian collusion thing and the, the Mueller report came out and they couldn't find any evidence to prove it, they just acted like nothing happened. Like they didn't spend two years going crazy about it and like turning the country upside down. Right. I just, it just seems like they never held accountable for this stuff. Like they can do this crazy stuff, make these claims, their claims get proven wrong, and no one ever says anything, and then they're able to do make do the same thing all over again. Whereas when it seems like the conservatives try the same thing, their views get attacked immediately, like with this last election. When the conservatives thought that it was stolen, everyone, the media, everybody attacked them immediately and said, that's not true, whatever, it's not. And that gets dismissed immediately. But whenever the left says it, like they did in 16 about the whole Russian thing, it was like a two-year saga, $48 million investigation, frontline news on every station. Then when the report comes out, there's no evidence of it. They just turn around and act like, oh, nothing to see here. We'll just move on. I just that's that's. I don't know how your country that like is that normal. I mean, what do you what do you think? I mean, to 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 me, it's been, you know, this these past couple of years have definitely been more of the most divisive years that we've that we've had uh when it comes to when it comes to politics and whatnot. And you know, to answer your question previously, you know, as to whether or not perhaps the country can come back from this. Uh and you know, whether or not politics will will either stay in sports or if they can eventually separate themselves, 
you know, as long as you have these big name these big name athletes like LeBron James, mm-hmm. you know, stepping up and uh, and making light of this uh, of of these details, it's probably not going to go away. In all honesty, you know, it's a long time of healing, you know, to where both sides aren't aren't viciously attacking each other like they like they have been the past four years um and you know we all we all know that stuff like you know the black lives matter stuff and uh you know all the stuff about antifa and everything there all this stuff if if we've learned anything Everything, everything that that has happened has has come in phases. Like for example, uh, hell, I hate I hate to bring you know music into this, but like I'll I'll give I'll give a perfect example. Like like uh, like the boy band craze was so huge in the '90s, and yeah. now all of a sudden it's absolutely nothing now. Thank God. It's very, you know it's it's very possible that this may be just a phase and maybe perhaps eventually with with time you know things will start to calm down and you know maybe we won't have you know sports will go back to being just about sports and not having to worry about being politically correct uh and stuff yeah. like that but i i definitely think that one of the big pressures has to be social media as well, because oh, that's a big contributor. Because regardless of what whatever sport it is, social media has integrated itself into the sports world now, to where you know you're 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 getting athletes reacting to certain things that either may happen in other sports, or maybe they're reacting to stuff in politics, movies stuff like that, you know, it's, right. it, it, and, it and what like, do you think Twitter and Facebook are on? I mean, from all indications, it sounds like it's the left. Right. So don't you think that maybe this issue is the country cannot, won't be allowed to go back to normal unless the Republicans give up? Cause that's what it kind of seems like. It seems like if Republicans give up, then the left will calm down, and then the country can go back to normal. But as long as the Republicans are willing to still engage in politics and actually fight for what they believe in, the left is willing to burn the entire country down. It's like they have a gun to our head of, like, either we comply or they're going to, like, this whole thing is going to get lit on fire. That's what it – I mean, isn't that not what it basically is at this point? Because it seems like when they don't get their way, just all hell breaks loose. Yeah, I mean, is that not anyway, pretty obvious uh, where we're at now? Yeah, but anyway, we are uh, we are about towards the end of our uh, two hour uh, okay. two hour show tonight. Um, thank you for calling in, though. What is uh, what is your name? Yes, sir. Yeah, my name is Mike, and uh, thank you again for taking my call. I really appreciate it, guys. All right, Mike. Thank you for thank you for joining us tonight. Yes, sir. All right, uh, we are 
we are just about to head into uh, the third hour portion of our show. So assuming, you know, that nothing ends up, uh, that nothing ends up happening, you know, nobody ends up getting, getting disconnected or whatnot, uh, then we will go into, we will be able to be on the line for, uh, for an extra, an extra hour here. And JB, you have perfect timing because you, you joined in right under the, right on the, right on the wire here. Okay. Uh, so yeah, you know, that was quite the, uh, that was quite the discussion that we just, uh, we just went through. I, you know, like I said, I don't really like to involve politics in these, uh, in the sports pods, but because it did kind of tie into uh, the sports a little bit, it kind of, uh, it kind of, kind of made sense to keep him on for at least a little bit. Um, so JB, uh, did you, I know you're probably watching the UFC right now, uh, but did you get the, uh, did you get the chance to uh, watch the Super Bowl? Yes, I did. So what, what what were your thoughts on uh, on Super Bowl Fifty Five? It it it, it kind of seems like, you know, this. It kind of seems like the Super Bowl really what was supposed to have been, you know, a big uh, a big matchup between the greatest of all time and, you know, a, a lot of people were calling Pat Mahomes the next greatest of all time. All of a sudden, it, it just seemed like Brady was, you know, he wasn't ready to pass that torch yet. Yeah, and I actually had, uh, I think it was uh, last week, uh, Jim was on, and uh, he was actually asking everybody, uh, well, everybody that was on anyway, who yeah. uh, we were uh, picking, and I picked uh, Kansas City. And I think Jim was the only one that picked uh, Tampa Bay. And he said, you are all wrong. And I think I uh, posted in uh, Facebook you know, that, uh, hey, you know, I was wrong. Not the first time. It's not going to be the last. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we were, we were pretty, we were pretty wrong. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, I don't think, I don't think everybody was expecting, you know, the, the game to go as it did with basically, it just, it just seemed like it just seemed like you know there was Kansas City was just completely outmatched basically exactly you know i thought it would be a closer game than it was and you know uh i think i mentioned that my wife is uh one of one of the ones that this hates Brady. She hates to listen yeah. to his she hates to listen to his name if it's brought up. 
oh, that bastard, oh, that son of a bitch. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I I didn't watch the whole thing, but when I turned it on, I thought, man, Kansas City isn't even uh, isn't even playing. They didn't yeah, even come very- out to uh, play like I thought they would. Yeah, no, it's it seemed, you know, very odd to me that um that that Kansas City, you know, that offensively they seem to be basically shut down for most of the game. Uh you know, Tyreek Hill he did eventually get like seventy some odd yards, but for the most part they pretty much neutralized uh Tyreek Hill and his uh and his production for most of the game. And it wasn't only, uh, you know, Tom Brady. It was Tampa Bay. Oh, yeah. No, Tampa Bay. They were, uh, I, I believe if I remember, if I remember correctly, one of the, one of the big points that we, that uh, we talked about last week was whether or not the Tampa Bay defensive line would be able to overpower the Kansas City offensive line. And from what we saw, you know, they had Pat Mahomes on the run for most of the game. You know, they didn't really get to Mahomes until like the third quarter, but uh, they, they rushed Mahomes into making bad, bad decisions, basically. Exactly. I was also going to bring up last week, uh, and it's been like a week and a half. Um, I don't follow the Reds that much, but uh, I was going to mention about uh, Trevor Bauer being uh, traded. And Trevor Bauer was uh, won the uh, Cy Young Award. Yeah, and I thought, and I thought, wow, you know, whoever, if they're, if he's, uh, you know, if he's being traded, uh, whoever gets him is, uh, you know, going to get somebody good. Yeah, and you know, he was, uh, he wasn't traded; he was signed uh, out of free okay. agency. Okay. Uh, the Dodgers, the Dodgers signed him a three-year, one hundred and two million dollar deal. Uh, it says here that he can opt out of his new deal at any time. Uh, he will be paid $40 million this year with the chance to make $45 million next year if he stays with the deal. Uh, he's coming off of his best season in the league with, uh, with the Reds. He'll join a rotation that already has Walker Bueller and Clayton Kershaw in it, and he's probably going to be in line for a potential World Series ring uh, next this upcoming season, assuming that the Dodgers don't get upset. Right. I mean, this is a very scary signing for the Dodgers, and I don't mean scary for the Dodgers. I mean scary for everybody else in the league. Oh yeah, I was also going to mention too that it it seems like uh, any kind of uh, Cincinnati Bengals or Cincinnati Reds uh, player 
that uh, goes to another team. They seem to want to go to another team to either get more money and or go to a another team that is a potential World Series slash Super Bowl uh, contender. Yeah, well, I think when it comes to, when it comes to Trevor Bauer, I think. I don't think it was necessarily the money. I think he just wants a ring. That's the, that's his thing. Okay. Because you know he made he made his uh, he made his career basically with the Cleveland Indians being uh, in the middle of their ro- in the near the middle to the end of their rotation, and the fact that he finally, you know, he finally brought himself. Um, become one of the better pitchers in the game. You know, obviously he wants to he wants to make the most of this situation, basically, and essentially be you know try and uh, try and, and finally win a ring, and that's why he ended up. Why do you think he ended up uh, staying a free agent as long as he did? Yeah, I I, mean, normally, I don't I don't follow the Reds that much, so I can't really tell you. You know, nor, normally more of the big league, normally more of more of the big uh players, you know, they often sign very early in the free agent market. But Bauer, I mean, hell, we're only a couple of days or I'm a couple of days, a couple of weeks away from spring training and here you have Bauer basically still on the market until, of course, you know, he finally signed with the L.A. Dodgers uh, this past uh, week or so. Right. And wasn't it also the Mets that were that he was going to uh, sign with? Yeah, it, it appeared it appeared that the Mets were the uh, uh, were the favorites to sign him, but he instead decided to he instead decided to sign with the Dodgers. And I have a feeling that uh the the controversy that the Mets seem to have with their uh with their front office, I have a feeling that may have played a role in his uh decision from uh you know to back away from them. Okay, I wasn't, uh, you know, being I don't really follow up too much. I really, I really didn't read up, uh, you know, as far as uh, you know why he signed with uh, the Dodgers uh, instead of the Mets, and I saw that uh, you know the Do- I think the Dodgers are more a, uh, what do you call it? My brain just went blank. It just shut down like my computer does every now and then. (laughs) The Dodgers are more of a contender? Dodgers are more of a contender, exactly, than uh, the New York Mets. 
Well, I mean, the Dodgers, you know, not only are they more of a contender, they're the, they'll be the defending World Series champions. So, and considering their roster, they're, they're probably the ones that are the most primed to repeat, to potentially repeat as, as uh, World Series champions. Especially adding Kevin Bauer now to this list. And it's possible he might, uh, you know, do as good with uh, Los Angeles as he did with uh, Cincinnati. Who knows? Possibly. So tonight I see that we have uh, we have a title fight, I believe. Uh, Camaro Usman defending his welterweight title against Gilbert Burns. Yeah, that's later on tonight. Yeah, we've also got Alexa Grasso against Macy Barber in the co-main event. We have Kelvin Gastelum against Ian Heinish uh, in the middleweight division. And right now, I think, is Brian Kelleher and Ricky Simon in the featherweight division. Um, The last card, which was last week, Overeem got knocked out by uh, Alexander Volkov uh, two minutes and six seconds into the second round. Yeah, that one looked like uh, Overeem just, it almost looked like Overeem just wasn't there. Because even the uh, round before it, you know, he was kind of, oh, not kind of, but he was uh, putting his uh, hands, uh, you know, on his his face and grimacing. And I thought, you know what, he's hurting and I thought, he's going to go down uh, the next round if uh, Volkov keeps, uh, you know, if Volkov keeps it up. He almost looked right, like, is... he almost looked like, uh, oh, green fart again. He broke his nose. It says he said he broke his nose in the first round. Okay. Broke his nose and he couldn't recover from that punch that it, that he took that ended up breaking it. Maybe that was the punch in the what was it? Second round? Cuz keep in mind, no, it's in the in the first round that he broke right. it. Because keep in mind, you break your nose. Now you're forced to basically breathe out of your mouth, which, considering he's a heavyweight, you know, that's going to take up even more stamina than, than uh, you know, a heavyweight would normally ex- expend during a fight. You know, I'm just – don't you think now – should probably be the time when Overeem just hangs it up. I mean, he's 40 years old. Exactly, and I think we were talking about uh, talking about that last week too. You know, he's 40 years old. There's if he was ever going to contend for the heavyweight title, he should have beaten that. This was the fight for him to to beat Volkov and then maybe potentially get a uh, a heavyweight title opportunity. 
Exactly. But now, you know, speaking of the heavyweight title, uh, it has been announced that John Jones, he will face the winner of Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou for the heavyweight title. See, now that, I don't see why he gets a shot at the heavyweight title when he hasn't even fought anybody in the heavyweight division yet. I don't. Oh, I see uh, why. I, I see why. I don't. I, uh, I, I don't agree with that. Because for years, for years, people have been saying he is way too big for the light heavyweight division. That he should be fighting at heavyweight. And you know, he 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 definitely has the length to contend in the heavyweight division. Uh. You know, obviously, if he gains more weight, he's just going to bulk up in muscle, more than likely. And with him being considered by considered by Dana White to be the greatest of all time, and uh, or at least the greatest, uh, apart from apart from Habib Nurmagomedov, to be considered uh, one of the greatest fighters in the UFC, uh, the past, you know. Th- throughout his entire time in the UFC while he's been on top. You know, he's he's one of those fighters that not only is going to draw – I mean, think about it. Stipe Miocic, a potential Miocic-Jones fight is going to have a big draw because oh, Miocic yeah. he... could potentially – Miocic could potentially be one of the biggest threats that John Jones has ever faced, and not because he's a heavyweight. And even even if he faces uh, Nagano, it's going to be yeah. a uh, it's going to be a big fight. Anybody that well, no, anybody I'll... that wants a fighting is going to be a big fight, really. Yeah, but I'll tell you this right now: when it comes to Nagano. If Nganu somehow upsets Miocic and faces Jones, Jones is going to walk right through Nganu. I'm sorry, but Nganu, he's nothing without stamina because he always gasses way too early in the fight if he doesn't end it early. You know, he's just... Yeah. He's he, he's he's a fighter that's basically he's basically what Shane Carwin was. If you remember Carwin, Carwin was basically all about power and not really you know he didn't well actually I'll say this Carwin had more cardio than uh, than Ngannou has than than what Ngannou has shown. Yeah, except for that one fight where he just gassed out. In the uh, what was it second or third round, and he just no second. he just lost it. Was yeah, that it was with Lesnar? I can't remember. Because, no, it was the second round. I remember because he threw all those shots at Lesnar, and he basically he basically punched himself out because Lesnar yeah. uh, he did not knock out uh, he didn't knock out Lesnar in the first round and Lesnar was able to, uh, to survive that barrage of punches that he threw. Yeah. 
and then that's why Lesnar was able to uh, to slip on the uh, the the arm triangle as, uh, so easily, like he did. But uh, yeah, not. You know what? What about the uh, the lightweight division? Uh, with it looks like it's probably going to be Dustin Poirier versus uh, Michael Chandler for the uh, the UFC lightweight title, or the interim. I'm sorry, the interim UFC lightweight title because Dana White is refusing to strip Habib of the uh, of the title. And it's only been a year. No, it hasn't been a year. No, it hasn't been a year. Why wouldn't Habib last fought? Hang on. Habib last fought last fought um, against Justin Gaethje, and that was back. I know it was definitely it was before the new year. Um it was in October. Cuz I know there's been fighters. He... I know there's been fighters that have gone almost a year and a half without fighting and well maybe not a year and a half. I'm going to say maybe uh Oh, 14, maybe 14 months without uh, fighting, and there's been no talk of, uh, there wasn't any talk of them, uh, you know, getting stripped of their uh, belt or anything like that. So, really, uh, you know, this is not something. At the same time, though, those fighters didn't say that they retired like Habib did. Right. Okay. Habib has mentioned has mentioned that he's retired. You know that there's no way that Dana is gonna is gonna talk him into coming back into fighting because he can't fight. He can't fight if his dad isn't coaching him. So. You know his his fight against Gaethje was basically his last fight, so it doesn't. You know, there, the, Dana isn't going to be able to to convince to coerce him back into fighting. The UFC, if a fighter, if a if a champion retires and has flat out told the UFC they will not come back, they should strip the champion of that title, but. If a champion does decide to come back, they should be given an uh, you know an an immediate title shot. But you know, if a champion decides to retire, they should they should strip the champion of that title. And for some reason, Dana isn't doing that with with Habib, even though Habib wants him to. And Khabib gave Dana the oh. He gave, he gave him the uh what do you call it? He more or less when he talked to Dana last, he more or less said, uh, you know, he'll have to 
look at the uh, you know fight last week. Look at the fight last week and see if uh, you know if the fight was uh, you know any good. You know he might and he uh, wasn't come impressed. Back. Yeah, and he wasn't and, impressed. Yeah, he he wasn't impressed. I got to say though, I was pretty impressed with uh, with Michael Chandler the way he was able to, uh, you know, the way he was um, the way he was able to put down. Who did he face? Was it Dan Hooker? I think. Uh, how he was able to put put Hooker down with basically e, relative ease, knocking him out in the first round, uh, gaining him a, uh, a performance of the night bonus as well. You know, he basically, he pretty much made a statement because uh, going up against a fighter the likes of Dan Hooker in his first UFC bout, you know, a lot of people were wondering, you know, he's succeeded at Bellator all these years. Can will he succeed in the UFC or will he uh or will he wilt under the pressure basically? And it's obvious that, you know, Chandler isn't gonna be intimidated by the uh you know, by the big lights basically of fighting in the UFC. Yeah, exactly. And Poirier I mean, I don't think we've ever seen somebody, uh, with the exception of Diaz uh, and Habib, obviously. I don't think we've seen anybody manhandle McGregor the way that uh, that Poirier did, standing. Oh, yeah. That was a surprise. I mean, he basically ate up McGregor's uh, legs. You know, there was literally no life. Uh, whatsoever in those legs as soon as McGregor uh, you know right before McGregor got finished but man I'm looking at the UFC 260 card just these uh, just these two fights that are on the card currently Miacic defending his heavyweight title against Nganu and Alexander Volkanovsky defending his featherweight title against Brian Ortega. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a card. This is going to be a card to watch March 27th. And then we we also have on March 6th, you have uh, Jan Blakowicz. We have Three title fights on March 6th. We got Jan Blakowicz defending against Israel Adesanya, who's moving up in weight uh, to to challenge for the light heavyweight title. You got uh, Amanda Nunez defending her featherweight title against Megan Anderson, and you got Peter Jan defending his bantamweight title against Aljamain Sterling. I mean, this is going to be one. The next two pay per view cards. I mean, hell, you got Dominic Cruz fighting in the preliminaries on that card. That's what. That's what I saw, and I thought Dominic Cruz fighting in the prelims. That's how stacked this card is. I don't you have know. Dominic Cruz. That you have Dominic Cruz fighting in the preliminaries, 
And you also have Joseph Benavidez fighting in the preliminaries as well. I mean, I'm uh, maybe it's because I haven't seen a UFC fight in a while, and I'm I'm more mm-hmm. used to uh, you know seeing the likes of Dominic Cruz and uh, Joseph Benavidez on the main card from all these years of of seeing them fight. But man, it's but then again, taking a look at the other fights on the main card, you have Tiago Santos against Alexander Rakic, and you have Islam Makachev against Drew Dober. I mean, it kind of makes sense why Dominic Cruz is on the pro, uh, on the preliminary card. Yeah, and from what I'm looking at, they don't have the uh, uh, prelims and the fight card, uh, you know, separated. And that tells me, no, hopefully, do. they do because. Well, what, from what I see uh, on my uh, on my other uh, telephone, that it, it just lists one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It just lists eight fights, and A, B, and C are for championship fights, and then the only other thing is uh, the announced fights. It's not separated like it usually is, you know, like the fight card and the uh, uh, prelims. Well, at, at least sure. going off of Google, at least going off of Google, I'm not even looking at Wikipedia. Uh, going off of Google, they have they have Blakowicz and Adesanya as the main event. They have Nunez and Anderson as the co-main event. Jan and Sterling uh, as the middle bout. Uh, The opener would be Tiago Santos and Alexander Rakic. And then it would be Islam Makachev against Drew Dober for the main card. Uh, The preliminary card, the one that'll be... Well, I should say the early prelims. The early prelims, the first fight of the night would be Rogerio... Uh, Bontorin against Kai Kara France. Uh, then you would have Kennedy, uh, whatever the hell that last name is, against Carlos, Carlos Olberg. You'd also have Sean Brady against Jake Matthews. Then for the televised prelim card, or I should say the non uh, the non ESPN Plus preliminary card. Uh, you would have Livia Renata Souza against Amanda Lemos, uh, Joseph Benavides against Oscar Oscarev, uh, Oscarov, uh, Sonia Dong against Kyler Phillips, and Dominic Cruz against Casey Kenny in the main event, if you will, of the preliminary card. And I've always liked to see uh, Dominic Cruz fight. Even the last well, one he that should he should be lost. Well, he should he should be on ESP on the ESPN portion of the card, from what it appears like here. Now, next week though, we have Curtis Blades against Derek Lewis in a battle of right. heavyweights. 
you also have on that same card, you have Alexi Olenek and uh, Chris DeKaus. You have Char- Charles Rosa and Derek Ma- Derek Minner, Minor. Uh, I want to say it's Minner, though, because it's two ends. Uh, you have Ketlin. Andre Yannick. Oh, is Andre on there? Yeah, Andre Olofsky against uh, Tom Espinelli. Wow, Espinelli. I'm, I'm surprised. I'm so, you know, I'm so, I'm surprised that Arlovsky hasn't retired yet. Yeah, he's another one that uh, if he loses, I think uh, he might, uh, you know, retire. You Even also though got I Eddie think Wineland. He's... I'm sorry, go ahead. What what were you going to say? Yeah, and I think the last fight that uh, Andre Arlovsky fought, he actually uh, won. But still, I think if he would lose, uh... I mean, hell, I was watching this guy fight in 2016 against Tim Sylvia. Oh, yeah. Or not 2016, 2006. You know, 2006, I was watching him fight Tim Sylvia. And this was 14, 15 years ago. So. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still surprised that he is even, you know, he's even still fighting. The Tim Sylvia trilogy, as we'll call it, because he won the first he he uh, won the first bout uh, defending his heavyweight title. Man, he's wait a minute. Let me see. How old is he actually? He is yeah, forty two years old, and he's still fighting. Wow, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. I thought he w- I thought he would have retired by now. But how long has yeah, he been won. back in the UFC? He's been back in the UFC yeah. since 2014. 2014, and actually, he's had some pretty big some pretty big fights in his second UFC run. Uh, Brendan Schaub. Antonio Bigfoot Silva, Travis Brown, Frank Mir, Stipe Miacic, Alistair Overeem, Josh Barnett, Francis Ngannou, Stefan Struve. Well, then again, Struve two years ago is nothing compared to the Stefan Struve uh, in his early UFC career. You know, he, he fought Ben Rothwell last year. And actually, yeah, you know, he's on a two-fight winning streak, uh, last winning against Tanner Bozer back in November. Man, I just – Yeah, he's I – still, I still don't know, though, why why he hasn't hung it up yet, though. Because he's, you know, it's not like he's going to be anywhere towards contending for the heavyweight title. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, let's see. For the bantamweight, uh, we also have Eddie Wineland fighting on that card too. Uh, a WEC vet, and I believe this is his second fight back in the UFC after uh, after some time outside of the UFC. Uh, yeah, I was gonna bring. I... What I was gonna bring, I was gonna bring up a fight that was on uh, last week. Two fights that were on uh, last week was the uh, uh, the two fights right before the uh, Overeem fight. Uh, Frankie oh, yeah, Edgar uh, getting Cor- knocked out. Yeah, Frankie Edgar getting uh, getting upset by Corey Sandhagen. Yeah. Uh, twenty eight seconds, twenty eight second knockout, and yeah. it's kind of surprising that Edgar, out of all the years that I've seen him fight, he, that was only his ninth loss. And you know, this is a this is a former UFC uh, lightweight champ. Exactly. Hell, I still remember Edgar's wars that he had with uh, with BJ Penn. All the way back play, when uh, Edgar was champ. In the fight before that, Clay Guida beating uh, Michael Johnson. Now, you see, that's another one I'm kind of shocked is still around is Clay Guida. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hell, I still, I, I still remember his war he had with Diego Sanchez when uh, I think it was the Ultimate Fighter Six finale when they basically started off the fight throwing a barrage of punches at each other. It was sort of like one of those cartoon fights that you would uh, – that you would see where where uh, both would uh, you know they'd come at each other and then you'd see like a whole whirling dervish basically uh, that would look like a tornado or something, but it was just it was just Guida and, and Diego Sanchez exchanging punches with each other. Uh, that you know that's another one I'm I'm still stunned is is still in the UFC. Yeah, exactly. Because I would have thought he would have been done by now, but yeah, you know that's another one. Uh, Thirty-nine years old, and he's still—he's also still fighting. As a matter of fact, has he fought anywhere other than? Yeah, no, he's been with the UFC since two thousand six. Not once has he fought anywhere outside of the UFC since huh. he debuted. And I and let's see, yeah, that that fight with Sanchez was all the way back in 2009. And actually, it wasn't the Ultimate Fighter Six. It was, uh, it was the Ultimate Fighter. The Ultimate Fighter United States versus the United Kingdom finale, which was the ninth season. And even the fighters that he's he's fought, uh, 
Oh yeah, a who's who list of fighters that. Uh, mm-hmm. Gray Maynard, Benson Henderson, Anthony Pettis. Jeez, uh, who, who else? Kenny uh, Florian. I mean, it's just yeah, Diego Sanchez, Nate Diaz. Even though he might have, and he even beat Nate Diaz. Yeah, that was ba- that was uh, that was back when when Nate wasn't uh, wasn't a polished fighter. That was back. That was uh, that was back in two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. But yeah, I mean, he's also you know. Then again, this was back in back in that day when when these fighters were actually big. Uh, you know, he he's fought Dean Thomas, Tyson Griffin. Gilbert Melendez, before he even came into the UFC, he fought Gilbert Melendez, Josh Thompson, Rafael Dos Anjos, Takanori Gomi. I mean, hell, there's there's a who's who list of fighters that he's fought. Chad Mendez, Dennis Bermudez, Robbie Peralta, Joe Lozon. You know the the reason why they must keep him on board is because he never he never has a boring fight basically. Exactly, he goes in there and it's like watching rock'em sock'em robots. Because <laughs> because there was the the one thing that Dana White hated the most, and I remember this vividly, is the fact that there would be there would be fights where they, where where the two fighters would basically just wrestle each other you know they wouldn't uh there would be basically no movement it would basically be just a whole bunch of stalling essentially yeah just a bunch of throwing uh, throwing punches uh you know 3 feet away <laughs> And the punches were just no, like uh, little—they were little jabs. Yeah, yeah, they would be. That's actually, yeah, that's more of a. Uh, they would be like those punches, like when you're trying to remain active on the ground, and you would throw like these little, uh, these little jabs on the ground, to try and show the ref that you're, uh, you know, that you're remaining active. So that yeah, that you're still you guys up, yeah. But no, you have you have Guida who, you know, has been one of the one of, when he does fight, he's one of the more active fighters when it comes to uh, when it comes when it comes to punch output. Well, at least back in the day. Back in uh, when the UFC was was just starting to uh, starting to rise like they were. Well, anytime that he goes out in the octagon, it looks like he's uh, you know high on something. He's just uh, running around, jumping up and down, and everything like that. And it's like uh, those are the kind of those are the kind of fighters that I like to uh, see, really. Yeah, but also that's just Guida, you know. That's 
Right. That, that's uh, it's it's almost it's almost like he. Uh, I don't even know how to how to describe it, but he, uh, yeah, he's definitely. It's almost it's almost like it's almost like he's uh, hyped up on caffeine every single fight. Yeah, exactly. But uh, one of the other things, actually, that since we're talking about fighting. Uh, is Floyd Mayweather, I guess apparently his fight with Logan Paul may apparently be off. From what it sounds like, his little exhibition fight that uh, that that he was going to have. Yeah, I read that let he me, was going to fight somebody. I forget. I forgot who it was, though. Yeah, his uh, his exhibition boxing match. This was this was posted about a week ago. Uh, his exhibition box, boxing match with Logan Paul has been postponed to a later date. Um, I guess apparently Mayweather's uh, Mayweather or not Mayweather uh, Paul has been trying to uh, has been trying to throw throw barbs. At uh, at Mayweather ever since uh, ever since this fight got pushed back. Oh, okay. It's according from what it sounds like here. It says that he wants to have that they want to have a packed arena when they do the fight. That's why uh, they pushed back the fight. But uh, according to Logan Paul, it says here that the fight is still happening. I think it'll be a while until they get a, a packed arena. Well, obviously, with how COVID has uh, yeah. has impacted, you know, every uh, every single sport, basically. And you know, like COVID actually impacted has impacted every sport to the point of where the Super Bowl this year, you know, they only had, and I, it's funny that I say only. Because you take a look at the you take a look at the uh, uh, you know the final number and you're basically saying only you know they had about they had about I think it was like twenty three thousand fans at the Super Bowl this year. Yeah. Was well, just like at Fight Island. Where they had uh, they had a couple thousand people in the uh, in the uh, arena, and I was kind of I was kind of surprised, really. But you're talking about uh, you know someplace halfway around the world where it's not really affecting them like it is uh, us. Plus. The high uh, uh, COVID, uh, you know, um, oh, protocols that they're, uh, you know, going through and everything like that. Yeah. 
I mean, it's unlike uh, any of the other uh, sports. I mean, they're testing everybody and uh, anybody that has anything to do with the UFC. Yeah. Well, you know what? This brings up another thing that we talked about earlier tonight. Um, When it comes to how the impact that COVID has had on sports, uh, in particular, I believe it might have been Lou who actually brought up this point, that he believes COVID had uh, has something to do with the fact that you look at college basketball and you see a whole bunch of teams that are normally, you know, at the front of the pack, like Duke and, uh, you know, Kentucky, Kentucky being the worst out of them all because they only have six wins this year. And, you know, now all of a sudden you're seeing these teams that are normally at the forefront of every March Madness tournament, and they're having absolute shit seasons. And it kind of makes you think, uh, is it because does COVID have a, have a, a bit of a role in this or is it, or is it just because, you know, there, uh, there are other universities that are, that, that have ramped up their, uh, uh, what's it called? Their recruiting efforts. I think it's these, uh, big teams like, uh, Kentucky, they, uh, they more or less uh, feed on these, uh, you know, packed uh, houses. Where if you know, yeah, if they don't, you know, if they don't hear anybody, uh, you know, rooting for them, it's like, it's almost like a, it's almost like a downer, really, and say, well, you know, who am I, who am I, who am I playing for? Yeah, you know that is that is something to take into account as well. That it could be it could be potentially because of the fact that uh, you know they're they usually feed off of the crowd. And you know what? It's it's sort of a sort of the same thing too with uh, you know going back to the UFC that you know one of the one of the main things missing from the UFC is the energy from the crowd. You know, we've seen right. some some fighters end up coming back in certain fights because of that adrenaline that they get from the crowd. And there's been a lot of uh, upsets too. And you wonder about yeah. uh, you know you wonder about that too. Yeah, you know, there's uh, in particular we we've seen it we've seen it happen in multiple sports where. There are teams that normally thrive in in uh, competitive sports. Like, like take the Raptors for example. This year, the Toronto Raptors. You know, they are usually they excel because of uh, in uh, in large part because of the crowd. You know, the crowd always gives them momentum. But now, you know, they're not playing in front of their fans in Toronto. They're playing down in Tampa because, uh, you know, they won't allow Canadian teams to travel back and forth. 
from Canada to the United States to play uh, to play other teams. Hell, oh, that's why in hockey you have uh, you have one of the in hockey you have one of the divisions this year being the all Canadian division. Canada wants to try and limit as much travel as possible going in and out of Canada. And you really can't so, blame them. No. No, especially with all these, uh, you know, with all these various, uh, with all these variants of um, of the coronavirus coming up like they have been. Yeah, another, another, uh, other uh, sports is uh, that I think it was uh, affecting this year was uh, college football. There was a lot oh, of uh, lot of upsets in uh, college football. Well, not just upsets, but there were there were. Uh, I remember people were pissed off that um, what's it called? Ohio State was getting a shot at the uh, at the uh, college football playoff, despite playing only six games or six yeah. or eight games or something like that. Yeah, that seemed. You know, even to me, that seemed kind of unfair, even if I was uh, with uh, another uh, college team. They and, you didn't know, they start were in... until November. Yeah. And they were in, yeah, they the were, beginning, they were in somewhere from the top three. They were either in the top three or the top five all season without even having played a game yet because of the fact that I guess they're going based off of paper, based off of uh, the look on paper. So I don't know. You know, it's the COVID has definitely affected how sports how sports are played by quite a bit, and you know it's. It's very possible that we may we may have seen the face of uh the face of sports really change quite drastically for for the for the foreseeable future. You know, because there's not really they're not you're not even gonna get so you're not even gonna get uh fans coming back to arenas until everybody gets vaccinated. And even and something, else I, something else I thought was it wasn't it wasn't dumb. It was uh, you know, a good idea on the uh, teams that did it. But as far as people watching uh, you know, these teams, what they did is uh, they put these, you know, cardboard cutouts in these uh, seats of, uh, you know, first responders and stuff. And me watching the football game, I'm thinking, so what? <laughs> 
I don't care about yeah. these cardboard. I don't care about these cardboard cutouts. I want to see the football game. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyways, we got about just about four minutes left, so I think we're going to cut it a little bit short tonight. Um, just okay. to uh, just to remind just to remind everybody, we do have a new show that has a that has officially launched this past week called the Survivor Memories Podcast, hosted by Jim Early. Uh without him none of these podcasts would be possible. Uh we just recapped the Survivor Nicaragua season this past week uh with the uh with some special guests that uh managed to join us, a couple of cast members from the Survivor Nicaragua cast. And this week, we will be returning on Thursday, 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, this week, it will be the Survivor Philippines that we will be recapping. And who knows, maybe we'll get a couple of uh, cast members from the from uh, the Philippines to show up. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. We, uh, you know, if you want to subscribe to the Missy AE podcast, sorry, I don't know why I'm, I'm slurring like that. I haven't been drinking tonight or anything. Uh, you can subscribe to us by going to blogtalkradio.com slash Missy AE or by going on iTunes and searching Missy AE on the iTunes store. You can get access to not just this podcast, but any of our past podcasts that have been done. Now you won't, you will only be able to listen live on blog talk radio as iTunes. They don't get, they don't get the podcast until the archive becomes available, which is shortly after midnight uh, Eastern every single, after every single podcast. But uh, yeah, uh, that's it for, for tonight's show. Uh, thank you, JB, for joining me. Uh, thank you to Kyle, Lou, and Mike for uh, for joining us tonight as well. Uh, we will be back next Saturday night for another edition of Sports Whispers Weekly. Uh, with that being said, everybody have a good rest of, rest of your weekend, and we will see you guys next Saturday. Yep, have a good weekend. Yeah, you too.